Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Yeah, I better shuffle things over here so I can actually do the show. <laughs> uh, this is fascinating. Uh, I just recently, recently, as in like three seconds ago, <laughs> looking up uh, stuff in the, in the Brazilian election. And I posed a question this morning, uh, you know, Action Radio, the title of the show, Be Nice If Americans Fought Election Fraud Like Brazilians Do. And this is, this is a fascinating thing to me. It is fascinating to me that the exact same model of election fraud that was used to steal our 2020 election was just used to steal Brazil's 2022 election. I mean, I'm talking the exact copy. I mean, this is so obvious. This is what, I don't know what they call in, um, uh, you know, when the serial killer does the same thing over and over again, you know, modus operandi, method of operation, uh, you know, uh, how they, they do things. Yeah, this is, this is like serial killers. <laughs> you know, this is serial election killers. Okay. So these folks, it's the same globalists. It's the same power-hungry people. It's the same Marxists. It's exactly the same people doing exactly the same thing. You know, the people that stole the uh, election for Biden, you know, stole the election for uh, Lula, you know, down there, the, the South American communist criminal um, that is now has been installed as the president of Brazil. And it's time to take the most popular presidents. And apparently you can't have that. You can't have that in the new world. It's a new world order. You can't have that. Well, maybe you should make a Russian new world order. You cannot have, you know, freedom. You cannot have popular leaders. So thou, thou, thou shalt have no lead. Let me, let me put this in, in, in terms of the, uh, the deep state. Thou shalt have no leaders before the deep state. It's, it's kind of like turning religion on its head. And so we have this bizarre situation. Uh, and, and what's funny is anytime I do a search, and I just went back to the, the Yen, Yandex uh, conservative side. I, I tried conservapedia. That was useless. Um, but I was uh, looking, you know, because I tried just regular search, DuckDuckGo, and uh, I just stopped using it because it doesn't get me anywhere. The, the, you know, uh, the first 50 stories I, I said, you know, I, I put into the, the search engine, why don't, why don't Americans fight election fraud like Brazilians do? And the first 50 stories were all, you know, the election uh, is a big lie. It wasn't stolen. This is the, most, the safest election in Brazilian history. You know, everything's fine. You know, shut up. <laughs> Don't look at this, Greg. You know, it's all the same stuff. I mean, it was so, it was, it was, it was, it reminds me of uh, the original uh, Manchurian candidate with Frank Sinatra and um, Janet Lee and, and some other great actors from, from way back when, black and white film. Not, not the modern one. The modern one with Denzel Washington. I mean, it's a good film, but it's not a political thriller. It's not a political uh, psyops thriller the way the original Manchurian Candidate is. Um, you know, it's, it's so people don't you don't even understand what Manchuria has to do with uh, the modern one, but the old one you know exactly what it has to do with. In other words, soldiers of the United States were kidnapped in the Korean War, taken to Manchuria, brainwashed. One of them was made an assassin, and they were brought back to the United States. Now, I'm not going to give away the whole plot because, first of all, that's not fun. Secondly, it's one of the greatest films of all time. So you really need to see the original Manchurian Candidate. And then you'll understand the metaphor that people keep using all the time, even by people who use it and understand what it means. <laughs> it's, it's really kind of fascinating, but they do. That, that happens all the time. Anyway, so this, this, this whole idea of uh, brainwashing, uh, it's, it's very apropos, as they say. And so the, um, the way that they did this, uh, and it, it was quite fascinating, um, there's this total brainwash. And what happened was the soldiers were, that were in this captured unit that were brought to Manchuria to be brainwashed, they all, they, they were given like this mantra, you know, and uh, the, the Lee Harvey, Lee Harvey, no, 
Harvey, uh, Lawrence Harvey, excuse me, Lawrence Harvey, almost referencing Lee Harvey Oswald. That's totally different. That's no, don't mean, no, go away from that. Lawrence Harvey is an actor. Uh, he played, uh, he's the main, he's the main title character. And I mean, it's funny. Frank Sinatra was actually a supporting role. If you believe that, right? So, so the singer, Frank Sinatra, uh, who actually did one of the first martial art, I think they did the first martial arts scene ever in the movies. He ends up breaking his little finger. He, he does a, 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 what they would call a karate chop back in those days through a table, except the t- he wasn't supposed to do that. He, he does smash the table, but he also smashes his fingers. He broke his finger in this scene. So it's quite interesting. Anyway, so all the soldiers in this unit are taught this, uh, this mantra, you know, and I've forgotten who it was, Sergeant uh, or whatever is, I've forgotten the rank of uh, Lawrence Harvey's character, but they say he's the kindest, gentlest, most wonderful soul that ever lived or something to that effect. And they all say it. And they all say it exactly the same way. It's kind of like watching a newscast. You know, when, all, when they put uh, 30 uh, newscasts together and they're all saying the same thing at the same time, you know, uh, and, and, and what it turns out is this guy is a terrible officer. He hated the army. Nobody liked him. He was one of these bureaucrat, you know, just awful officers. And so, uh, but all the soldiers that come back from this brainwashing say Sergeant so-and-so is the kindest, gentlest, most wonderful human being that ever lived. And it's just, and they all have a blank look on their face when they say it. So that's how you know it's brainwashing, right? Well, the, the brainwashing is going on here too. You know, this is the safest election of all time. Really? <laughs> I, I, where did you get your brainwashing? Did you, you guys go to Manchuria too? So it's, it's fascinating to, um, to watch this take place. And I don't know if they think we just don't notice. Of course we notice. Or they think it doesn't matter. We don't have the power. Well, that, the whole point of Action Radio is to change that. And so we'll keep working. We'll keep doing what we do. And one day we'll have massive millions of people you know, sending in bills saying, this is how we choose to be governed. This is how we consent to be governed. This is what we want you to do. And then we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting. But Brazil, uh, what I find so fascinating is the Brazilians are in the streets. I mean, they're protesting. When's the last time you saw a protest against the 2020 election? I mean, a real one. You know, not, uh, you know, not one, not the, the fake Black Lives Matter Antifa protests, you know, that uh, tried to say, oh, this is a fraudulent election in 2016. You know, that uh, those no, now we're talking about that. But the 2020 election, a genuinely fraudulent election, election so loaded with fraud as to be impossible not to see it unless you're not looking. So anybody that says, well, there's no fraud in the 2020 election, you, you can't prove it. And that's like saying, well, you're like the person living 100 feet underground that's never been to the surface and, and telling them uh, then, and then saying, you know, there is no sunshine. <laughs> there is no sun. There is no sunshine. No such thing. Well, you've spent your whole life 100 feet underground. How would you know? You've never looked. Well, that's the same thing with election fraud. These people either have never looked or choose not to look because if they ever did look, they see all the election fraud, then they couldn't keep saying there's no election fraud. So they don't look. It's the only way they can do it. I mean, most people have, have a hard time lying uh, absolutely. Some people don't. Those are, they're called sociopaths. So the people like Dr. Fauci, who we call Dr. Fascist around here, uh, most of the government, uh, people uh, that are running for office, well, well, Hillary Clinton is the most sociopathic liar I think I've ever seen in my life. She will sit there with a straight face and just lie to you. And not only does it not bother her, she, I don't know if she actually believes her lies or she's so sociopathic that it doesn't even register on her conscience because she doesn't have one. But this is quite fascinating to me. That she she'll, she'll say and and, so, and, and this is this is an interesting phenomenon. This is the next wave of propaganda. So she says you have to be careful that the uh, the 2024 uh, uh, campaign the Republicans have already you know decided how to steal it. They're going to steal it and and then they're going to say that they didn't steal it. Well, this is projection. What what she just said is the Democrats are going to try and steal the 2024 election. The Republicans are going to blame the Democrats for stealing the 2024 election if they do or try to. 
And she's already preempted that by saying, well, see, I told you they were going to blame us. <laughs> you know, it's actually kind of brilliant in, in a very demonic way <laughs> you know, that she gets up there and says, well, the, um, you know, the, the, the Republicans are, are uh, going to accuse us of stealing the election. Well, that's because they do. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, the evidence is, is so overwhelming. It's hysterical. Um, but when people say, well, you can't prove that the, uh, the election was overturned, you know, where's your proof? Well, first, like I say, they don't look. But secondly, here's the irony of this. Uh, the burden of proof is not on us to prove that the election was fraud. The burden is on them to prove that the ballots were honest. See, ballots have to go through a test. Uh, ballots are guilty until proven innocent, unlike people who are innocent until proven guilty. That's how it works. Ballots are not valid until they are proven valid. All right. And so because of that, that's why you have to take a look. So as far as I'm concerned, the 2020 election is still under an ongoing investigation. Isn't that interesting? So you can't, you can't, you, you can't proclaim the re- results of the 2020 election because it's still under an ongoing investigation. There's still audits. There's still uh, battleground states looking at this. There are still Trump electors out there. See, this is, the, this is the Achilles heel. This is what drives the Democrats crazy, the Trump electors. There are still seven slates of Trump electors that could easily fix this election uh, and correct it for Trump. Obviously, Trump won. Oh, come on. Does anybody believe that, uh, that Brandon could beat Trump? That some doddering old senile man, you know, nothing against him personally, uh, because he, he should be sitting on a rocking chair watching the sunset eating ice cream. That's where he should be. All right. But he's not because, because you know, Jill Biden is hungry for power uh, and all these other folks are, are, are their whole livelihoods, their, their lives, their expectations, their, uh, their power. Everything is, is dependent on having a moron in the White House so Obama can, can work things behind the scenes. I and mean, that's how this all works, right? So oh, I got Pianchi on. We'll get him on here. Um, but basically, that's, a, that's my whole premise, is that Brazilians have become the new Americans. Brazilians are fighting for their election. Brazilians are not accepting the results of this. Uh, Bolsonaro has not conceded. Steve Bannon is, is working with him to make sure, you know, hopefully he doesn't concede. Trump never conceded uh, 2020, by the way. Trump has not conceded the election to Brandon because you can't concede to a coup. You can't concede to, uh, to an insurrection. You can't concede to an overturning of the election when Trump won. You know, even though they're saying it's the reverse, but it's in saying the reverse that you know that they know that they cheated, which is kind of interesting. Let's get Pianca in the line. Welcome to our, our Friday summation, sir, of the week's events. It's been kind of a busy week here. Pianca? Hello, Greg. How are you on Friday? Well, actually, I'm in really outstanding shape. Something uh, happened yesterday. I have, um, I've had this opportunity to drop on my lap. I am part of a movie called The Falcon. And this is Juliet Ramos. Um, who's, uh, who's now on the show and she's working with, uh, with a director and a production company and the whole thing um, and it's a movie called The Falcon and I don't know how much I can say about it so I'm not going to say much of anything but the point is I'm an advisor I'm helping them uh, because it is political, constitutional it's a bunch of different stuff to it and so I've been requested by the production folks uh, to, to come on board and help out so I'm part of a Hollywood movie so I'm, in, I'm feeling outstanding. I, this literally dropped in my lap. I've never had an opportunity, certainly like this, just drop in my lap saying, you want to do this? So, Hell yeah, I want to do this. <laughs> of course I want to do this. So I'm, I'm not, um, I'll give you details as I can, but uh, things are emerging. That, uh, and I'm even going to have a, a little appearance in this film too. So I'll finally get my one line in the movie. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I'm feeling pretty good. Well, I hope you have your hair trimmed and you dressed in your nice as apparel to make your big debut. But then it wouldn't look like me. <laughs> I gotta be me. I gotta be me. Who's saying that? Sammy Davis Jr. I gotta be me. Well, yeah, if they want me to dress up and do, yeah, of course. It means Hollywood. I'll do whatever they you know, want to be in a movie as long as it's someone. I'm not going to shave my head. 
But other than that, yeah, sure. Dress up. Yeah, I can do that. They got costumes. They got stuff for me to wear. You know, I have no idea. <laughs> it could be a different period in history. I mean, who knows? Um, but it's all wide. It's, it's wide open right now. I'm going to leave it to the folks that know how to make movies. That's not my forte. Uh, mine is, uh, you know, the, the, the world of, of government and laws and things like that. Um, as such, I've been on Twitter a whole lot this week, kind of making up for lost time now that I can post things on Twitter and not have them censored, banned, kicked off. And uh, people are actually reading my tweets now. Ooh, it's kind of exciting. You know, I'm breaking through some censorship. I've been, so hopefully, I've, yeah, go ahead. I've been mm-hmm. wearing Twitter and parlor out here the last, since they booked me on a ban on Facebook. <clears throat> and you know, Facebook is so trifling. But mm-hmm. Parlor Twitter, I haven't been to Trump's uh, site. But, uh, you know, you're talking about Brazil. Mm-hmm. I was reading articles about that election, mm-hmm. and they mentioned Donald Trump so much, I thought I was reading about the 2020 election. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Well, but it's, it's the same pattern. That's what I was saying earlier in the show. It's exactly the same pattern. They stole it the same way. Voting machines, early voting, propaganda. They demonized uh, Bolsonaro. Uh, and it's it's called the drop and roll. Uh, Gateway Pundit has, has documented this whole thing, uh, so it's quite fascinating. So in other words, Bolsonaro was was killing it in the polls. He was doing just fine uh, as the count was going on, just like Trump did. So so Bolsonaro was winning as Trump was winning. You know when they were actually counting the real votes, and then everything stops and everything goes black and everything uh, gets cut off, and that's when they do their dirty work. And then you know all kinds, hundreds of thousands, or, or you know I don't know how many votes, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of fraudulent votes come in. And then what they do, that's called the drop. So they drop in all these extra ballots. And then after that, they have what they call the roll. So they have every ballot, uh, every time the, uh, the election results are posted, it's exactly the same ratio. And it's always slightly more for the communists than it is for the legitimate candidate. So in the case of Brazil, it was like 50.5 to 49.5 or, or 51 to 49. And in Trump's case, it was the same thing. That's why all the results are so close in the battleground states. So they drop the drop and roll. So they, they drop a gazillion ballots by fraud un, from under desks, you know, by a pickup truck, things like that. So they drop all these ballots in, and then they do the roll. And the roll is exactly the same ratio of votes for Brandon all the way through the rest of the count. And it, it's statistically impossible. It is identical in both Brazil and the United States. Uh, and so the parallels are incredible. The difference, though, that I see is that the Brazilians are in the streets. They're fighting this. And, and most of our people have been so coward, so there's so much sheep, they don't even, uh, someone says, well, uh, the big lie is that the election was stolen. It really was a fair election. And most Americans are like, okay, Brazilians don't like that. Brazilians are the new Americans, which is kind of sad. I mean, encouraging for them, but sad for us. What happened to us? Where, where are the American Americans? Well, you know, they're going to relate uh, the uproar of people to January 6th. Mm-hmm. And then, too, you know, the courts in those South America uh, countries are like banana republics. Mm-hmm. So, well, but so are we. You just have a meeting with a judge, and that's how he's going to rule. Yeah. Should we define what a banana republic is? I think it's one of those words that people use. People assume they know because they don't want, they're too embarrassed to say that they don't know. You know what a banana republic really is. You want to give a crack? Well, it usually right? refer to countries. Actually, it usually refer to countries where one of the uh, gross domestic products is a banana, mm-hmm. Chiquita Barrett. And yeah, exactly. Uh, it was another. Or Dole. Yeah, the, the Bushes was involved in. What was the Bushes involved in in South America? Uh, one of those uh, 
countries. I can't think of it right now, but the, yeah, they was involved with uh, countries. Not Del Monte, Del Monte, or something like that. Could It'll be. come to me. Hmm. What? Or maybe it was Nestle. That's the, that's I think the Swiss company. They're huge in terms of food. No, it wasn't Nestle. Monsanto, the chemical with, company. Uh, no, it had to do with produce. I'm not sure. I don't remember Bush, the Bush family as being involved in produce. Anyway, as I understand it, and tell me if this makes sense, uh, there was a company called United Fruit, which is the equivalent of Aramco uh, in the, uh, in the uh, Arab countries. So United Fruit was a huge conglomerate of American companies. And I guess it was, it was like uh, OPEC, right? So it was made up of Dole, Del Monte, you know, the big fruit producers. And what they would do is they would go into these countries and make them grow bananas or make them grow sugarcane or, or coffee. They would make them grow... Uh, crops that were good for American, you know, markets, and they would pay them nothing. They would say, you have to grow this. We're not going to pay you anything. And they'd, and they'd pay off officials. They'd pay off, uh, you know, corporate people. They'd uh, pay off people to bust unions. They'd treat the workers horribly. They'd exploit them terribly. And it became basically a fascist empire of the, the fruit and, and vegetable corporations working with the government. Whenever you have corporate government merging, that's fascism, to rule the people, to exploit the people. It's almost like a colony. So they made colonies of these South American countries, and they exploited them horribly and grow fruit and vegetables, particularly bananas, uh, so they could be sold cheaply in the United States. And these people could make billions and billions of dollars. That to me is a banana republic because they actually work. They actually the the produce actually controls the country because the leaders don't get to be leaders unless they get the approval of United Fruit or whatever the American company is that's approving it. And if they don't play ball, then the CIA comes in and assassinates the leader. <laughs> so you had this entire government involvement. So banana republic really is a pretty terrible thing. We it sounds like a funny term, but it's not. It's it's absolute rule of other countries forcing them to produce things that aren't good for their economy necessarily, but are good for ours. And the only people that get to power are those that play ball, play the game, become part of the corporate government empire. And then when it doesn't go, like Salvador, you probably know more about this than I do, Salvador Allende in Chile. You know, Josie's the one who knows about this. She, was in, she lived in Chile. Uh, tried to nationalize companies and say, no, you're not going to exploit our people. You know, we're not going to run, you know, Chile for United Fruit. Um, we're going we're gonna to nationalize. We're going to do it ourselves. And uh, then he ends up dead. <laughs> Gee, how did that happen? So that's what I think of when I think of a banana republic. Well, it was Honduras and the United, United Fruit, like you made mm-hmm. mention, mm-hmm. because they were some of the players down in that area. And Bush had something. As a matter of fact, Obama did too, because they had a coup, coup in 2009. And... Uh, the president was a layer, according to this article. Uh-huh. Now, my, my my mind is starting to clear up now. But, uh, yeah, the Bushes had something to do with those companies down there. Well, let's look it up right now. And, I can look up Bush family and uh, Banana Republic. So Bush family. Chiquita. 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 Chiquita, yeah. But remember one, remember one Valdez? Surprised. Yeah, you'd be surprised how these names pop up in these different circumstances, whether it was uh, the Dooley's brothers with the uh, the deal in Iran with the overthrow uh-huh. of the uh, – doggone uh, what was his name? Overthrow by the Shah of Iran, Musladek. Mossadegh, oh, yeah. yeah, he nationalized the oil wells. 
mm-hmm. in uh, Iran. <clears throat> yeah. He didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't find anything here. I'm going to start using that other search engine because this is, uh, I think uh, DuckDuckGo is effectively useless. <laughs> so I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to rearrange my stuff and bring up another search engine because they all do the same stuff. No matter what you put up, they give you the, the liberal articles. They give you the exact opposite of what you asked for. If you ask for, uh, you know, try this online, folks. You know, go online and say, you know, show, you know, election fraud in 2020. And there are, the articles will come up, the first hundred, there was no election fraud in 2020. <laughs> it's just, it's so bad. It's so sickening. Well, you know, that. Go ahead. The uh, Bush's grandfather, Prescott Bush, sat mm-hmm. on the board of Riggs Bank there in Washington, D.C., and it was a deposit for many uh, depots leaders around the world, especially Nigeria, that would deposit money in that bank. Huh. See, I'm not familiar with Riggs Bank, so feel free to, to do some reporting on it. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, if you look at the families, I was thinking Prescott Bush. You know, look, at, look at the American dynasty families. We don't really talk about this too much. You've got the Bushes. You've got the Kennedys. Joe Kennedy. Remember him, the rum runner? Although that was never actually proven, but it was suspected that uh, he made his fortune running rum from the Caribbean through the blockades you know, during the Depression, mm-hmm. uh, during Prohibition. And then, of course, the, he made millions and millions of dollars for his family, rumored to have stolen the election um, for John Kennedy in Chicago from Nixon with vote fraud. Now, under the circumstances, I like John Kennedy better than Nixon, but he shouldn't have come to power by cheating. <laughs> you know, but there's the political family. So we've got the Bush family. We've got the, uh, the Kennedy family. Uh, who else is political dynasty in this? The, the Roosevelt's? You know, I think Teddy and, and uh, Franklin were related, weren't they? Were they first or second cousins? How are, are they related? So. Yeah, you had Kermit Roosevelt, who was involved in the, the overthrow of, uh, I think he was involved with the overthrow of this thing that happened in Iran. Kermit was uh, like a grandson to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Interesting. Why would you name your kid Kermit? That's like Edsel Ford. <laughs> you, know, you really screw up somebody's life when you give them a bad first name, especially when they have a, well, Ford, the Ford family. There's a dynasty. Uh, if you get to mm-hmm. the industri- industrialist Carnegie family. You know, Carnegie Endowment for the Arts. You know, so they have uh, you have conservative uh, business leaders. You know, they call them the robber barons, and, and they're pretty terrible. I mean, the labor conditions were pretty horrible, so I can understand why unions arose. But that's what a free association is. That's how a country oh. you know, evolves. But uh, the Rockefellers, you know, the the Carnegies, the Mellons, the uh, who are the other bankers? Um, who are the big banks? There's somebody I'm missing. I'm trying to think of somebody else. J.P. Morgan. Uh, so those are those are dynasties. Those are industrial dynasties. But political dynasties, you've got the Clintons, you know, Clintons, Kennedys, Bushes, Carters. Well, not the Carters. They were they were one time thing. But who are the long term families uh, in American politics? New England used to have the Lodge family. You know, Henry Cabot Lodge. That was a dynasty for a while. Um, mm-hmm. The Hearst family that controlled the newspapers. So they have been families. Um, you know, but a lot of times the families will be behind the scenes and they'll basically have their minions do their dirty work, which is kind of interesting. I mean, well, who, controls, know, you know, talk, who controls Lightfoot you, in Chicago? You, you, Who's you hear her? these arguments about <clears throat> anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. But you know that uh, way back when, I think in the 1920s, Henry Ford published a book. You know what the name of it was? Um, the International Jew. The what? <laughs> It was called the International, the International Jew. Jew. Henry yes. Ford? 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And it brought out it brought out uh, the implication, the entanglement, and controls and corruption, similar to what's being said to, not only today, but has been said decades leading up to what you hear uh, these Kanye West and uh, Irving saying. It's not nothing new. Huh. That was a, that was a book called The Secret Relationship Between Black and, Blacks and Jews that Amazon tried to they tried to get it banned from Amazon, but uh, it reveals a lot of things. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the dirty little secrets would make uh, make politics fun. Here's one that uh, Dr. Judy Mikevitz pointed out to us a few times during the World's Greatest Doctors panel. The the full title of the Origin of the Species, you know, the the, the defining book on evolution. So the full title is On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Most and it's don't truth know that. to that. Most people don't <laughs> know the second part. Yeah. So the origin of the species. So in other words, natural selection. This is, this is, uh, this is uh, what's that? This is eugenics. This is the yeah, like Gutenberg. I think of the University of Gutenberg that put that out. Oh, the Gutenberg Bible? That's what, that's no. what started. No? You know, I have to go back in history, in my mind, uh-huh. to remember where this stuff, you know, originated from. Uh, you had a lot of, well, Greg, it always have been this way because at the time, people only knew. They didn't have DNA sequencing at that time. But uh-huh. when you talk about natural selection, natural selection is very much real. Uh-huh. I mean, that's just the way nature works. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, and our natural selection, yeah, we've sort of gotten away from it. Um, I'm breaking up again? Oh, that's too bad. Let me, uh, I think, you know, once I get too many websites, uh, that, that seems yeah, to be what happens. Yeah, you need happens. to get you uh, a computer with about 32 gigabytes of memory. Well, that would be good. Um, oh, I hate to do this. All right, let me cancel that website. Let me cancel this one, too. It's usually, it, once you get rid of the websites, it gets better. Let me if, I ever, if I'm ever breaking up, just let me know. So here's the, let me just read this a little bit here. The full title of Darwin's On the Origin of the Species. A quick little blurb. It says, those who argue at school board meetings that Darwin should be taught in public schools seldom have taken the time to read him. If they knew the full title of On the Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection or The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life, they might have gained some inkling of the racism prop- propagated by this controversial theorist. Had they actually read Origin, they likely would be shocked to learn that among Darwin's scientifically-based proposals was the elimination of the Negro and Australian peoples, which he considered savage races who continued, whose continued survival was hindering the progress of civilization. Let me get rid of that website, too. Well, there was, uh, I mean, it, it goes on. Like uh, one ethnic group called the Bo, B-O, and the last speaker of Bo, their language, died here, I guess, maybe in the last 10 or 15 years. And she was what we would call here in this country black. I think she's from Australia. So, yes, these uh, ethnic groups, these uh, particularities, are they come and they go. Yeah. Does that sound any better now? I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of websites as we're speaking. And you still have the wobble. Yeah. It really comes from taking out uh, websites. How about now? I got very few uh, 
browser's open. They usually took them out, but they're still in your cache. Oh, so actually, oh, that's where the problem pitch. is. You got to you got to clean the cache out. You usually do that when you turn the computer off and on, or as a process, you can go about doing it. But if you got you start tracking trackers, they will. Uh, can I do that during the show, or will I lose the show? I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Should we experiment? I mean, Shirley's about to come on. Well, if, yeah, but the now let's do your it. show I'll, come back on it. Would it come back on the same spot? Or I don't know. But that's another really, show. That's really good information. That's really good for me to know. So thank you. So it's not the amount of browsers that I have currently open. It's the amount of stuff in the cache. So, but every time I do that, I have to keep logging in again to Facebook and Twitter and and all my, my marks disappear, and it's, it's kind of a mess. Um, but I guess it would be worth doing. I should probably do that like once a week, just get rid of everything. So, like, clear – is it the history or the cache? Where do I find this cache? Well, you have to do Google search and, and search and tell you how to find it based on – It's an iMac. How hard is it going to be to find? You use? you use Microsoft 7 or Microsoft 10 in different places. Now, this is an iMac, and it uses, I'm up to Catalina, version 10.15.7, <laughs> whatever that means. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you about that one, buddy. I got, eight gigabytes <laughs> of, of, I got eight gigabytes of memory. That ain't enough. <laughs> oh, apparently not. This is why I'm not a computer whiz, and you are. Let's get to uh, Shirley on the line right now. When one is faced with a crisis, you find your true character. How you react to such an emergency can determine the rest of your life. Two paths present themselves for you to choose. One leads to tragedy. The other leads to becoming a new person. Shirley Wattrell, a survivor of a dangerously abusive relationship, is that new person. She's the author of Heels to Holster, she is a firearms instructor, motivational speaker, women's empowerment advocate, and a reporter for Action Radio. So now, here is the DC Project Women and Guns with Shirley Wattrell. So Shirley, do you know how to clear out the cache? Do you know anything about computers? Can you help me out here? I know nothing about your Apple or your Mac. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, okay. Yeah. It's funny. We were talking about Banana Republics. Now we're talking about apples. It's kind of interesting. It's going to be one of those mornings. This is going to be a food morning, I can tell. Where's Alan Dawson when we need him? <laughs> it's a okay. fruity morning, huh? It is a, it's fruity, a fruity morning, Friday. Yes. Well, it, yeah, it's kind of an interesting uh, – we're, we're all over the place. This is why I like Fridays because by Friday, you know, there's so much that's happened during the week, and, but we just want to kick back and have a little bit of fun. That's what I'm hoping. Well, yeah, actually, probably get Ellen. Maybe I can get Ellen to join us again. Uh, Amber's going to be taking some time off, so our, our Constitution report's on hold for a little while. So uh, I'll have the first half hour, and then Shirley comes in, and we got Derek, and we got uh, we got Science Friday. Mike Clinch is going to be in. He'll be uh, joining us in the in the third hour, which is kind of cool. But uh, what's going on in Gun World? What's what's happening with you, Shirley? Oh well, just getting through a couple of events that are coming up. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you're so popular. For, for, <laughs> for those people that don't know it, the DC Project, I'll go ahead and give a brief overview of that. DC Project mm-hmm. is a nationwide group of women uh, supporting and fighting for the Second Amendment. We have directors in every state, and I happen to be the Florida State Director. And um, 
we meet with legislators and just explain why the Second Amendment is important to us. And uh, we have a couple of events coming up, one which I was supposed to go to, which was in Fort Worth, Texas. It's the USCCA Expo. It's mm. next week, November 11th through the 13th. Um, mm. But I'm no longer going to that one because I'll be going to the Keys for the offshore boat race, which we have a vendor table there. Um, you are so see, busy. Have, you, mean, you, mean you have multiple conference options at this point? You're that popular? I'm impressed. I, I wouldn't call it popular. I'd call it more like, all right, we need you here. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. <laughs> Wherever you need to be. So okay. you're serving, I, I spe- well, you're speaking at these, right? Are you, are you speaking, would you have no, spoken at the CCA? Are, oh. okay. n- no, these are vendor. Oh. You're just working the table, um, mm-hmm. exposing other people to what we are about. You know, mm-hmm. we have our T-shirts. We have T-shirts for sale. Uh, oh, can I get a T-shirt? For that. Do you have two XLs? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll wear a teal. I'll wear a teal T-shirt. Yeah, we need Action Radio T-shirts yeah. too. We're gonna. We have some ideas. Actually, we had uh, some. Uh, we have an Action Radio um, merchandise. I forgot what it's called, but anyway, we had some some great T-shirts, but we never quite got to the marketing. Maybe someday we're gonna. I think we'll work on that. And no idea goes away. Uh, maybe when I get my movie no. <laughs> debut. Did you hear about that? I'm gonna be in a movie. Oh. I, I heard the very end of it, so no, not really. So I, I'm, yeah. yeah, what's that about? I, all I heard was was you. You're supposed to get dressed up and and cut your hair. <laughs> no, that was Pianki's that's idea. That's, that's not. That's, no, that's, that's Pianki's idea. Yeah, Pianki was wants saying to, that's the last. That's, yeah. that's all I heard. <laughs> <laughs> Pianki wants to change me. He doesn't like me the way I am. He, you know, so he has to. We need the new improved Greg. No, this it's a it's a political film. It's uh it's a bunch of stuff. I don't even know what I can say. So I'm saying very little about it. But the point is. Uh, because of the work that I do here in Action Radio, because of uh, um, my understanding of the founding documents and new ways of looking at things uh, in, in terms of citizen legislation and participation of people, they want me to help uh, advise and, and do some work on this movie. And I'm also going to get a little cameo appearance. So I, I, the, the three things I've wanted in life, one of them was to write a book. and I've done that. I've got the complete guide to flight instructions. So I've written my book. Second thing I wanted to do was have one line in a movie so I could sit back at, you know, when I'm old, late at night and go, oh, there's me. <laughs> You know, there's my line, the one line in the movie. And the third thing I wanted to do was write a very trashy commercial hit song and make a ton of money. Something, you know, uh, I guess, uh, you know, truly insignificant in terms of literary value, but absolutely wonderful in terms of, you know, popularity. Sort of like, uh, what's it, my favorite, you know, Katrina and the Waves riding on, uh, Walking on Sunshine? That film, I don't know what that, movie, that song means. Probably doesn't mean anything, but it's like one of the best songs ever written. But it means nothing. It's, it's really cool. So that kind of thing. Walking on sunshine. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'll do the guy version. You know, so... so uh, you've got two, two out of your three things that are on your bucket list then, huh? Yeah, two out of three ain't bad. Uh, Meatloaf, two out of three ain't bad. I should be saying it like two octaves higher. That's when I never became a rock singer because I, I, my voice is like down at, uh, you know, dire straits range. Money for well, nothing they- and your chicks for free. You can't sing that song anymore. It's it's sexist. <laughs> Back to you, Shirley. <laughs> I'm kind of like speechless now. I don't know where we are. We just, yeah, I haven't had my coffee. I can't keep up with you this early in the morning. Um, <laughs> ADHD no, radio. So, I keep saying ADHD radio. Nobody believes me. But anyway, yeah, so that, that's my movie game. No, so I'll that, tell you more as it happens. Yeah, that, go ahead. What? That's, yeah, that's a very good description. <laughs> very good description. 
Um, so we do have some um, drawings going on. The one in mm-hmm. in Fort in Fort Worth is for a Ruger 1911, mm-hmm. and the one that we'll be doing next week at in the Keys is uh, for a Mossberg JIC, a Ruger AR, and a Sig Optic. So if anyone's interested in purchasing tickets for these, you can go to our website dcproject.info. Go to shop, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and then you'll see where you can purchase tickets there. And they are, let's see, what are their prices? Uh, one for 20, three for 50, and seven for 100. Mm. So, so unlike the lottery, yeah. it actually does improve your chances to buy more tickets. Where Because there's a finite number of possibilities, <laughs> you know, those that buy the tickets. Whereas the lottery, you can buy 100 tickets, and each ticket has exactly the same probability of winning. So it doesn't matter how many lottery tickets you buy. By the way, did you play Powerball? I did. I spent my two bucks. Did you win? I'm still on the radio. Oh, aren't I? The <laughs> it was Wednesday. Oh, so this, did anybody this, win? Or no. win the drawing? I don't uh, it's one point five billion um Saturday. So tomorrow. Oh, so I have a chance to go out and buy a ticket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm saying but don't buy a lot of tickets, just buy one because if you, the more you buy, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't improve your chances of winning. And most people, you know, intrinsically that doesn't make sense. And I had a huge argument one day uh, back at WBY. So what do you mean? You know, more chances, you know, you're using up more combinations. You don't understand. There are so many combinations of numbers that you couldn't possibly get even close to using. In fact, I, I think what, like only 5% of the possible combinations are used, <laughs> you know, in, in a thing. You know, you could have like one and then, you know, four or 55 or, or however, however it works. No, you can do that. But uh, there's just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And I'm not sure I understand it myself, but apparently buying more tickets doesn't help you. Well, that might be true, but I know I need to at least buy one to win. That's all yes, I you do. know. Yes, the, <laughs> the chances of winning without a ticket are zero. The chances of win, but the chances of winning with a ticket are infinitely better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so okay. Well, uh-huh. I guess we can get started. So every Tuesday, one of our hashtag is teal for two A because our color is teal. So every Tuesday, I post a story of someone that used a firearm to save their lives or the lives of their loved ones. And this one comes out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh-huh. And I, I have to. This is this is kind of interesting because mm-hmm. on, on the actual report, this is a warning. This was actually printed on this document, this report. Warning, this article contains descriptions of assault, sexual assault. I went, well, that's interesting. So when you hear that, you think they're going to be really descriptive, possibly. And I thought that was pretty interesting to put that in the document. And here, I'll read it to you. A man was mm-hmm. arre- has been arrested after Tulsa police say his alleged victim shot him mm-hmm. in the foot. Mm-hmm. The officers responded to a this. shooting Sunday at, yeah, Sunday at maybe yeah. you know more information than I found. No, no I remember at, somebody was carjacking, right? No, this is not a carjacking. Different story, though. No. Okay. Then go ahead. I'll, different I'll just... story. There are so many going around, but no, this is a different so they responded Sunday afternoon, and when they arrived, the officers found this criminal with a gunshot wound. I'm not going to mm-hmm. like it. We talked about before. We don't go saying their names. He right. was taken to the hospital. Police received another call from a woman who said she was involved in a shooting but left because she was scared for her life. 
who said she was raped. The woman said the criminal came into her house, forced his way inside, and raped her. The woman has a protective order against this, this guy, mm-hmm. and after the attack, the victim grabbed a gun and shot him. Uh, so he was released from the hospital, booked into the Tulsa County Jail, and faces charges of rape by force or fear after former conviction of a felony and violation of a protection order. And he's got a $250,000 bond. Interesting. So, How much, I, I um, what are the penalties, like like the stalking or, or for violating a protection order? How much does that add? How, how serious do they consider that in the judicial system? Well, that's a good question. Well, let me do a real quick, see what we can find out. Okay. Um, but you can know, look at it for next week, but I'm just, I'm just curious whether they take this seriously. Do they take stalking seriously? Do they take the fact that somebody had to defend themselves with a firearm you know, against a known perpetrator who has already declared their intentions you know, by being a stalker, by, by, by having had a protection order against them? Uh, it just seems I just my, my concern is that the judiciary, uh, the criminal justice system is not taking this seriously enough. That's what I'm asking. Well, yeah. In, well, I guess once again, in each state, it's going to be different. But in Florida, a mm-hmm. violation of a no contact order will result in a third degree felony punishable up to five years in prison or up to five thousand um, dollars. Hmm. But as we know, orders, restraining orders, whatever you want to call them. They are a false sense of security, and that's one of the key reasons it's important for you to be your own first responder, to be able to protect yourself. Right. Um, But, yeah, so this person could add on up to, well, not in Florida. I should have looked up Oklahoma since we're talking about Oklahoma. So, yeah. Um, Then the question is, do they, are they actually going to serve the time, or are they going to let them off with a slap on the hand? Let's see, for Oklahoma, oh, my gosh. See, every what? state is different. Hmm. Oklahoma, as, as, a first, as a first offense, mm-hmm. violating a protection order is treated as a misdemeanor. Oh, great. It is pun- <laughs> oh, geez, really? uh, it's punishable up to a year in the county jail, jail or a fine up to 1000 or both. In domestic abuse situation, a protective order may be violated repeatedly. Well. Well, that's because you're not, they're not getting, the penalty is nothing. If they're not in jail, they can. A subsequent violation of a protection order is a felony offense. So I guess if they do it multiple times, it becomes a felony. But how many times, you know, do you, would you want to put somebody through before it becomes a felony? That doesn't make any sense to me. You know, when, when, is, when yep. are the intentions clear enough? You know, if someone stood outside a bank saying, I'm going to rob the bank tomorrow at 10 o'clock, you know, here's my gun, I'm going to do this, you know, I, I got my friends, we got our car, here's our getaway car, you know, <laughs> you know, and then they show up the next day with their friends in that getaway car, and they're about to walk into the bank, you know, you pretty well know what they're going to do, <laughs> you know, and you can't arrest them ahead of time because that's prior restraint, but once they've declared that kind of stuff, or if they if a committed bank robber, you know, does it, they've done it, you know, they declare they're going to do it again. You know, you can say, well, gee, well, we better watch this person because it looks like they've already declared their intentions to rob a bank again. Hmm, maybe we should watch them. 
you know, same thing here. If someone declares, if someone you know does an act of violence uh, and is continuing to threaten violence, then it seems to me that a protection order, you know, should be should have a huge penalty for violating it. You know, and these are the same. You know, then you get the same liberals that say, "Well, now you have to wait ten days for a gun." Well, you might be dead in nine days. And you know, I mean, these, none of this makes sense to me. It's a very strange thing oh, that it, they're not enforcing these laws uh, like they should, especially when the, the intentions are so clear. Exactly, and these people, these criminals, are out in no time. So, look mm-hmm. at all the. Where are they doing all the carjackings? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that New York? Mm, yeah. Somewhere there, there's. I think they're up 700% or some ridiculous amount. I mean, carjackings have gone yeah. off the scale. Yeah. I mean, like a yeah. huge amount. So, yeah. You do it everywhere. Penalized for them. Mm-hmm. The Bianchi. Well, yeah, it goes on sorry. everywhere. Yeah, Bianchi's here, too. Uh, in the hood. <laughs> you, you can tell when Bianchi's speaking when I'm speaking. You know, here's the thing. I'm just teasing. I hear people say, I hear people say that, uh, the crime is in red states. Yes, the crime is in red states because you got blue cities mm-hmm. where this crime is going on. And the face of the crime in these blue cities are black males. People need to tell it like it is. Mm-hmm. And stop stop playing around with it. When you look at your St. Louis, you know, uh, United States ranks third in murders, okay, out of 193 countries. Uh-huh. If you take out five Democratic, predominantly black cities, they would rank 189 out of 193. And uh-huh. that's not even before, that's before you even start measuring St. Louis and Chicago. Yeah. So that's where all the problems is when you talk about crime. And uh, I can talk about St. Louis firsthand. Yeah, I've been through there. I don't so, spend much time there, but uh, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm sure. Go ahead. I, I've never been there actually. Hmm. Maybe I should. Maybe I should go down there and visit. There's some <laughs> well, cool I, stuff down there. I knew a guy up that there. was. I guess uh, it's up there. Everything's up there for me. But <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. If you've been in Florida your whole life, well, uh, Pianchi, maybe you can confirm this. I know uh, I had a friend of mine in um, in California that swore that when they were an Air Force pilot, they they flew an F one hundred four under the the archway, that big um, steel arch that you have there. Now I don't know if it's true. Yeah, or not. yeah somebody did do that once. Uh, okay, not only I... with the military plane, but I think with private plane too. But oh, private plane. When they cracked down with, with legislation to stop with the punish people for that. Yeah, but this is a military jet. Um, so, yeah, I also know someone that uh, allegedly flew under the Golden Gate Bridge, but we're not going to talk about that either. It wasn't me, you know, just uh, just for the record. Well, it, was, it's yeah. dangerous because you have people in the top of the arch. They have trams that oh. go up each leg to the top, and, you know, you got lives up in the tops in a viewer section, and uh, it would be dangerous if something was to happen. What's dangerous, cause, yeah, because there's not a lot of room there, but this is, this is, the guy swore he did it, so, you know, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, Golden Gate Bridge, in fact, the mm-hmm. B-17s, when they went to war, uh, went to uh, Hawaii and on their way to the Pacific, they'd always fly under the Golden Gate Bridge on the way to Hawaii. That was kind of a tradition. A lot of room under there, unless there's a ship going by, you know. But for the most part, there's a lot of room. So, I mean, uh, uh, there was a helicopter tour. I don't know if it's still going on, but for a long time, uh, there was a helicopter tour, and they'd actually dive the helicopter, you know, Bell Jet Ranger, under the Golden Gate Bridge and pop up the other side. 
And so they got special permission, and it's kind of fun. So these weird things are done. Anyway, back to Shirley. Um, sorry, we, get, we, we do digress on Fridays. I have a question for you. In, in terms of the people that are doing the stalking, in terms of people who are violating protection orders, has anybody looked into the, the, the sociopathy of these people? These people have clearly have, I think, mental issues as well as criminal intent. Um, has, that, has that been been talked about, and is that a component that people can put on this? It's like the reason you need this protective order is these are people that have no control over themselves. They have they they've already demonstrated a complete life of, of concern for humanity. Um, has that or and the, and the definite sociopaths has that been brought into the argument at all in terms of protective orders? Are you talking the story or in general? In, gen- in I general, I don't think I don't. I'll just speak personally. Um, when I did get my restraining order, the person had already demonstrated that, that you know, they were not of sound mind. They, you know, when, when someone holds you against your will and doesn't let you leave, mm-hmm. there's something wrong there. Yeah. And the fact that you fill out all this paperwork and you, and then it basically is useless makes you go, well, what's the point? Because what happens is, Unless you, and I don't even know if they can take into consideration now that you have your camera, your phone right there or not, or mm-hmm. or if they can use that. But even if you're, I, I'd rather be defending myself than taking a video to send to the sheriff's office after I possibly could still be alive or, you know, I could, have, could be killed by then. But um, it it's never, it's, well, it, for me, it provided me with a false sense of security because I thought that was important. And once again, if you look at it, criminals are not going to obey the law. So you thought, if I got this piece of paper paper, and he served it, that means he knows that he's not supposed to come around or to have any contact with me, right? But mm-hmm. did that stop him? No. He had, he, that did not stop him. That just shows you that when a person had some in this case, this person did not want to be told no. They wanted what they wanted, and they were going to do everything possible to get it. If they could not get it, then nobody else would have, you know, be in a relationship with me. So mm-hmm. they are they are a little off there. That is totally that's uh, an obsession. A little mental. That, that's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they make movies about that. I mean, that's that's an obsession, and this is. See, I'm, I'm thinking that there should be huge enhanced penalties. You know, if you are, if you, if you commit a, a violent act, which is bad enough, and that's, that's, that's hugely serious. I don't, you know, we don't want people like that walking around. But if you do it, you know, already having shown intent, or especially if you violated a protective order, you know, there's, there's willful intent, willful motivation there. That should be an additional 25 years or something, or whatever it is to your sentence. You know, make it, make it, make it stick, make it count, make it something serious. Otherwise, the, these protection orders are worthless. That's what it sounds like. I mean, you're still responsible for your defense. The courts have said that, but why do we even have them then if they're not going to enforce them? Well, yeah, and if they do, and it gets to the courts, and it's depending on the state attorney or whoever, if they want to charge them or if they're going to cut them loose or if they're mm-hmm. going to slap their hand and say, okay, you did your time, you can go now. Because how many times have we heard that where someone, more, more violent crimes than this even, but mm-hmm. they keep getting out? And you wonder why and who, why don't, why? The legal system is, is in certain cities and certain states is, is not fulfilling its obligation to keep the, the citizens safe. But yet the first thing anybody wants to do is what? Take away <laughs> our means of self-defense and disarm us. 
So why instead of fixing the problem? So given the, given the situation, given the fact that there are stalkers and murderers and really truly horrible people out there, why do you think that the politicians are motivated to ignore all that? You know, their 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 constituents, especially Democrats who would like to appeal to various you know groups like women in particular. Um, why do you think that they they would push you know gun uh, seizures on people that need them to protect themselves, you know, in an obvious way. I mean, like I say, if someone has a stalker and a protective order, that's a pretty obvious need for a firearm or, or, you know, multiple means of defense. Why would Democrats, especially in any way, consider disarming people that have such an obvious threat? I don't get it. Well, it's, it's just, um, it's for control. It always always boils down to that. It's a way of p- politically putting it out there that oh, we need more gun control because look at this, look at this, look what happened. If that person didn't have a gun, then that person wouldn't have been endangered, wouldn't have been killed, which is totally wrong. Because no one, they're not, criminals don't. Once again, criminals don't get their firearms legally. They get all this stuff illegal. And if you say, oh, it's illegal to murder someone, that's not going to stop them if they're not mentally stable and want to actually kill someone. It's, it's like a politically sanctioned crime to get, the, get the, their objective met. Because all people see is they want the quick fix. And I think that's more today because of the Internet and everything. Everybody wants the quick fix. Mm-hmm. Oh, so the quick fix is to take all the guns away. Then nobody can shoot anybody. <laughs> well, no, nobody can except they're criminals. So I and the government, and the government, and yeah, the police. And the government. You know, if, gov- if if guns were so bad, why do we have two hundred eighty-seven thousand, you know, armed bureaucrats with half a million to a million guns and billions of rounds of ammunition? If guns are that bad, then give them up. But they don't. Well, then, and also ten years ago, mm-hmm. guns weren't bad. Fifteen, twenty years ago, you never guns weren't bad. The guns didn't change. They didn't all of a sudden say, oh, we're just going to start killing people. No, it's the people. We have to address the mental state of the people in society now. What's happened to change? Is it the way they're brought up? What what is it? Something's changed, and it's not the firearm. The firearm's Mm -hmm. still metal, and it still works the same way. Yeah, I've seen articles on this. It's it's an excellent point. A revolver is still a revolver. A semi-auto has been around since, you know, the turn of the previous century. You know, we're talking about weapons that, by design, are at least 100 years old, if not more. So, well, yeah, it's the people have changed. Yeah, Pianki? You got another case, too. What's that? Why come people don't wear their guns? If you to wear your gun, that person that's standing over there that's contemplating on attacking you, they're going to think twice. And also, the public will become more accustomed to seeing people wearing guns, and that would help the overall public view. That's your protective order. Yeah, that's a go ahead and respond to that, Shirley, because then I got a, a sort of a follow up to that. What do you think? No, Bianchi is, is totally right, and that becomes more of a regularly see it regularly, and not you know it's mm-hmm. not something to be afraid of. It's just like they call uh, military what they call them, weapons weapons of war because our military <laughs> uses them. But what I look at it, it's not, it's not the same. People don't understand this. 
not even our legislators. And that's why we meet with our legislators to educate them on any questions they might have. But mm-hmm. I, here's the way I think of it. You have a, a civilian AR and then you have the military style uh, mm-hmm. rifles. And it's kind of like, okay, I have a Volkswagen and I take the skins off of it and then I put a Ferrari skin on it. Does that mean it's going to run like a Ferrari? <laughs> no. no. Yeah. It, it, it's but, the same thing. My AR might look like a military issue firearm, but it doesn't run the same. It looks like well, even, it. Even, even if it did, uh, but the Second Amendment doesn't make a distinction between military and civilian firearms. You're just as uh, the Second Amendment protects your ability to own a fully automatic military firearm just as much as it protects your ability to own a, a single-shot dueling pistol from the 1600s. Because they're firearms, because they're arms. There's no difference. Yeah, that's very true. But you'll find politicians and the Mm anti-gun groups using that as an excuse that, oh, they shouldn't have it. It's a military-issue gun. It's not a military-issue gun. Let's just start picking away at at the the information that's incorrect. You know, then get down to, yes, a Second Amendment doesn't say, you, you know, doesn't distinguish what type of firearm well, but no, there's a, people are so there's a disillusioned principle. by what media keeps saying in the words. The words yeah. that media keeps using, they get disillusioned by it. Mm-hmm. My, my, my yeah, the, uh, go ahead, Bianca. The no, military oh. weapon of the Apache Indians was a bow and arrow. Yeah, and a knife. Actually, several knives. Did you ever see uh, what that, that show on the History Channel, like World's Greatest Warrior? And they'd, they'd match up, you know, Genghis Khan with uh, Geronimo in these fake scenarios, and they compare weapons over people that would never meet. It was a great series. Anyway, but the, but the, but the point is, weapons are weapons. And, and whether you've got a, uh, a fully automatic Thompson submachine gun, sub-meaning a pistol caliber, folks, um, that is just as, as covered under the Second Amendment as a two-shot Derringer. It doesn't matter. It's not the gun. It's the, yep. it's the right to own and carry arms. That's what's being protected, yes. not any individual gun itself. They're all protected. Pianchi? What was the weapon of Samson? The jawbone of an ass. He slew a mm. thousand people. So that but would be yeah. an assault bone? <laughs> Look at David. He had a slingshot. Yeah. Did he have multiple yeah, rocks and- with it? Did he have high-capacity rock uh, in his pocket? Rock capacity? I'm teasing you guys. His pouch would only hold so many rocks. I'm just, just <laughs> I'm curious. sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Shirley. Think about it. If you have all these slingshots and it has multiple bands, you let one go and then the next go, and it'd be kind of like a semi-automatic a little bit. Could be That's a semi-automatic. <laughs> Could be an assault sling. Especially if, you, yeah. if your assault sling were, were rubberized, rubber banded, and uh, you could, like a slingshot, and you could fire multiple rocks at the same time, it would be an assault sling. It'd be a high-capacity assault yeah. sling. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We got to think but about I these think what, ha- <laughs> what happens, though, is it, it's when, when the politicians, gun control politicians, mm-hmm. and the media, when they start, they, they want to scare people. Because if they scare people, then they'll jump on their, their wagon, on their train, you know. Say, oh, yeah, anti-gun, no, anti-gun. Oh, that's scary. But if they know the truth, it's not so scary. Yeah? You know, just think well, back. That, that, that's when the whole, you just, 
that's the magic point, though, is hiding the truth. You know, I've always said that uh, that criminals are an essential part of government control over over law-abiding regular citizens. So that you disarm the people to make them afraid. The criminals, you know, inspire the fear, and the people run because they can't defend themselves. They have to run to government for protection. So this is how government enforces. This is what I think the big reason behind gun control is. Yes, is to steal all the weapons to make sure that the, the power of government, you know, however illegitimate and tyrannical, is never challenged. But I think also a huge component of this is to take away the means of people to be independent. That's why they take away cars, single-family homes. They take away our, our energy, our gasoline. They take away everything uh, that can't be regulated and controlled. And firearms make you independent. You know, surely think of yourself before you well, own firearms we, and after you own firearms, right? Hold on, I just want to make this point. But, the, but how do you feel as a person, you know, able to carry firearms as opposed to a person before you were able to carry firearms? Or when you, you didn't even think of it? You're a different person, right? Oh, oh definitely. There's, there's no doubt about it. And it changed my life. Uh, humongous change in my life. And that's mm-hmm. why it's important right now, because what, next Tuesday, four days away, yep. it's very important that people get out and vote, but not just vote, but understand who is supporting the Constitution, who is supporting the Second Amendment, who is supporting the citizens of this country and not trying to tear it apart. You hear all this stuff about, oh, you know, but, oh, let's just, what was it, Biden was on there, something about, oh, let's just all work together and become a United States. <laughs> You're the one that tore us apart. That means submit to Democrats. Yeah, but it's like, like Muslims submit to, uh, to, Islam, to Allah. You know, they want uh, people to submit to Democrats like they're the new Allah. Yeah. Well, see, Check here it is with the Democrats. The mm-hmm. Democrats want to influence conservatives, uh, other people beyond themselves. Democrat, if you want to have critical race theory in your urban schools, go ahead and put it in there. But when you try to start wanting to have that same teaching going on in suburban schools or white Mm -hmm. districts, those people don't want it. I mean, what's so wrong with respecting people's wishes? I don't understand. They They just totally disregard other people's wishes and want to impose their rights on them. So if you don't go and attack them back in whatever form that you think is necessary, debate, petition, or however, at the polls, well, they're going to run over you. Mm-hmm. I did a, uh, a whole theory I developed yesterday on the air, totally by accident, uh, talking about the nation of government, that Washington, D.C. particularly, uh, has become a nation, a country of government. The citizens there are a part of a government. It's like a government nation. They serve themselves. They think of the, the states as colonies. They think of us as subjects, that they are in control. They are the elite. They know best. And that they actually have created, uh, they've given government the status of a nation. And, and thinking of it that way, it's all self-serving. It's all, it's all, everything's brought to them. And that they feel all-powerful because they are like, uh, like the British monarchy was. So they are in charge. They are in control. And we're exactly the same situation we were, you know, before the revolution, before the war for independence uh, with Britain. We have with our own federal government here that considers itself its own nation, and we are subject to it. And that's You're how they absolutely think right. Yeah. Anyway, listen to right. the show. Reason why this, the reason why this allowed to exist is because the state has sat back on their hunches and let this stubborn – hard-headed child, the federal government, in its tantrum fits 
get away with what it has gotten away with. Yep. And now, and now they, think, they think they have nationhood status. Shirley, what do you think of that theory? And you feel free to listen to yesterday's show. It breaks up a little bit. I'm still going to work on that. I have to empty my cash. Um, but um, after about 10 minutes, it kind of clears up. But, and that's when I get to that whole theory. The government becomes its own nation. It's an interesting. I think it's yeah, an interesting and, thought. Yeah, and I, I like the way um, Bianchi just summarized it. You know? yep. It's perfect. It's yeah. perfect the way he just summarized it. Well, he's great because he'll take something that I say in ten minutes and he'll like give ten words, and it's much, you know, it's much better. <laughs> this is a good way to do it. Um, I got a question for you on, on uh, something we were talking about earlier, Shirley. Um, my contention is that people not only should you, be, you wear your gun outside, but there are times when you should wear your gun inside, and a stalker in particular is going to be watching the person inside their home through whatever spy means they have—cameras, you know, scopes, things like that. If they see uh, a person with a restraining order. Uh, against that person outside, you know, wearing a gun inside the home may, might be less likely to try and invade that home, knowing that the gun is right there, you know, right there on their hip or right there on their shoulder holster or right there, you know, with immediate access. Would wearing a gun inside the home, if you have a known stalker, a known person with a restraining order or protective order against them, might that be a strategy too? Um, definitely. There, there's no reason why you, you wouldn't want to do that. Or if well, you have, people don't think of it. That's what I'm asking. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they don't because you think typically you think of your home as a safe place because mm-hmm. typically you don't you don't think it could ever happen to you that someone's going to break in or someone's going to want to do your harm. But that's not the case anymore. You know, I, I used to be that person. I mean, when you lived up north, you hardly ever lock your doors. Mm-hmm. It just when I was living in the country, you know, farmland, you didn't do that. I'm sure that's probably changed by now, even up there. But when I now, because of things that's happened in my life, the, the door is always locked. You know, someone walks in, you know, a friend comes over just for five minutes, the door's locked, and they turn around and open the door. And like, oh, yeah, sorry. You know, that's my drill. You know, you yeah. open the door, you lock the door. Yep. But also there's people that are going to break in. There's, it's very important that you understand the, the, how to secure your home. And if you have someone that's threatening, threatening you, it is a good idea to have a firearm with you at all times in your house or easily accessible. You know, if you have multiple ones, one in each room that you're going to go to or the room that you sit in most likely that you're sitting in, um, but, no, it, it's something that people have to think about because just because you have a lock on your front door and it is your door doesn't mean people are not trying to violate and break into your house. And that theory of it could not happen to me, that's going to go out the door. You know? yeah. it's, a, it's terrible to say that, but right now we have more criminals. We have uh, illegal immigrants here. We have criminals here from different countries. So, yeah, it, it, and we have police forces that are low in manpower because of what they have to face nowadays. And there's police forces that are they're, they're trying to defund them. So, yeah, crimes are getting up higher and higher, and we, we have to look at it differently now. We, our lives are changed because of that. It'll be interesting if... Uh, That's my thought. <laughs> uh, no, it's a good thought. No, it's, it's a very good thought. And I was just thinking of... Uh, if the Republicans, if the GOP geldings uh, actually wanted to do something, they'd reverse the gun buyback and they'd have uh, gun giveaways. They, they'd have uh, 
you know, and, instead of buying guns for people, they'd be, uh, you know, you remember, I, I, I sort of wrote this jokingly, but it'd be interesting. You remember my, my gun stamps bill, like food stamps only for guns? So they give out gun yeah. stamps and pe- people could get quality firearms and ammunition. Or as the liberals would say, access quality firearms and ammunition. But it'd be interesting if uh, a Republican candidate would reverse that and, and have a gun, you know, giveaway, uh, or call, what we call that, uh, a personal protection program. There you go, the PPP, the Personal Protection Program. Yes. So if you want to participate, if you, there's a lot of peace here, if you, alliteration. If you want to participate in the Personal Protection Program, you know, you can sign up for your government gun. <laughs> I mean, that's a bad idea because you don't want the government doing that. But I'm just thinking, if, if, what's that? It would be like the fire departments used to give out fire detectors, smoke detectors yeah, to why can't, why homeowners. Can't, that's interesting. Okay, so there's a perfect precedent. What was that program called? Remember? Well, you know, around the fall of the year, when you start getting into the heating season, mm-hmm. fire departments here, there, in cities and other places would have a day where they anybody show up, come to the firehouse, you get a free smoke detector. So then you do the same thing for police stations and, and get a free gun. Do you have to prove uh, income to get your fire uh, fire detector, or you just have to show up? You just show up, and also you, you could go there anytime and get batteries for your smoke detector. Oh, interesting. Shirley, what do you think? A DC project, uh, a government uh, low income. Uh, in fact, I would do a means test, and, and you're probably going to want to do some kind of background, make sure people aren't on the prohibited list at least. But, um, yeah, how about, uh, how about a government protection plan that includes the, the issuance of a firearm? Oh, wouldn't that shock the left? That'd be fun. Oh, uh, yeah, and I also want to know if, if they're giving away fire, fire alarms, if firefighters are giving away fire alarms and batteries, do they come in and install them in your house once a year too? That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Why don't they don't you want the government in your house? Yeah. But but let's think about this. I mean, we're, we're joking around with it, but there's some real possibilities here. See, I've always felt that the best uh, defense is, uh, you know, an offense is the best defense. So in other words, when the, when the left proposes taking away guns, I propose tax credits and tax uh, uh, deductions for owning guns. Or I propose a program where, where guns are easily accessible or given to or transferred. You know, I, I made a statement this week on Facebook that if the, if the police are being defunded, make sure that the guns that uh, the police had would go to low-income residents so they can defend themselves. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna defund the cops, at least give the the guns to uh, people that need them. So, do you think DC Project would do something like that? It's, it's kind of a bold step to have government gun giveaways. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that that's definitely a bold step. There was a sheriff. I don't remember which one was it Polk County. Some sheriff said that it's probably Grady. Uh, it sounds like him. I remember mm-hmm. saying something like, um, if you come to our county and you know, you don't have a firearm, let us know and we'll get you one. Something like that. And oh, I was that's like, perfect. Oh. Get that, get that sheriff I, on the show. No, I'm serious. Get that sheriff on the show. We, we won't make a model program. I don't program. remember yeah. who it was, but stuff, I mean, Grady Judd says stuff like that, and there's a couple other ones that are, are following suit with that. Um, oh, I was going to add something else. Oh, when you say just do the opposite, that's how – that's how I started Teal for 2A Tuesday because you always mm-hmm. hear stories of how people were, were criminals or killed someone with a firearm, but mm-hmm. you don't hear about how they firearm saved someone's life. So that's how that got started. No, Just like you it's said, a, 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 you got uh, five cities where the city ordinance encouraged homeowners to have guns. Kensington, Georgia, 
Nelson, Georgia. Kennesaw, I think is the term. Is it yeah, Kennesaw, I'm sorry. Right. That's okay. Gun Barrel City, Texas, Cuda, <laughs> Colorado, and one other I can't think of. Uh-huh. Well, how about D.C. Project doing that, uh, you know, having a bill, and of course, coming from D.C. Project, a women and guns organization, as a protection, you know, measure for women against violent criminals, um, that you actually have uh, a bill, because we ha- or, or sponsor our bill, we have already written one. Actually, I didn't write it. Um, oh, who, uh, I've forgotten who did it. Um, he was on the show earlier. I'll think of his name. Um, Anthony, uh, Anthony, 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 Lopez, uh, Anthony Nunez. Uh, grad student going for his uh, doctorate in electrical engineering. He wrote the bill. He wrote the bill on tax credits and tax deductions uh, for firearms owners. So that would be a great bill for DC Project to go, uh, and that would you would get all the attention. Everybody would know who DC Project is. The left would publicize the bill for you, saying, "How can you offer tax deductions and tax credits for for, for gun owners? That's terrible. That's horrible." And they're like, "No, it's not. It's a great thing." DC Project would advance. The bill would advance. We would advance. Uh, all of us would advance. You could uh, maybe be the spokesperson for that bill. Shirley, what do you think? No, I, I don't. I wouldn't argue with that at all. But yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe at some point we will be able to do that. Um, would love to be able to do that. I'm sure our founder would too. Uh, as things move along, mm-hmm. well, we've a, got the bill. It's we a, got it already written. It's a growing. It's a growing organization that that's fighting it, its place you know right now mm-hmm. we haven't had state directors that long so mm. oh that's the other thing I'll, I'll next year we'll be going to tallahassee we're going to take a group of ladies up there we don't have the date set so i will let everybody know that when that comes around too mm-hmm. but do you yeah. have to uh, run for state director of dc project or are you there for until you like you know leave or do something stupid or however it normally works yeah the you're there you're pretty much there to you Leave or do something stupid. I'm I mean, just curious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Because we, you know, you can, they kind of like you're asked to join to become that, and you right. accept the responsibilities because it, it has a lot of responsibilities to it. Mm-hmm. You know, raising money, meet, making sure you're going to meet with legislators, promote the organization, uh, grow your your delegates. Uh, there's a lot to it. Um, but yeah, we. Maybe one of us will, will hit the lottery, and and then we'll be able to uh, afford to grow our organization and actually pay them like the um, Bloomberg does, pays all these anti-gun groups. Well, I'll say if I hit the one point five billion, you know, we're gonna have a marketing budget, and I'll be profit sharing big time. <laughs> so yeah. Um, <laughs> so there there'll be some serious money because I don't need it all. I just need my jet and my uh, and five cars. Have you seen, you seen the jet that I want? The Viper Jet Mark II? Two-seat aerobatic, uh, um, 500 mile an hour, 12,000 foot per minute rate of climb, hot rod? That's going to be my jet. Oh, okay. And mm-hmm. only five cars, did you say? Well, I, I'm not greedy. One for, one for every day. No, I mean I probably I won't drive a couple of days a week. You know, so uh, well, this is so surely. This is, what, what would be uh, your ideal car? I mean, if you're into guns, you should be into cars. Uh, I really like the old Shelby. Okay. We used to have I one. See, I can see you in a Shelby. 69 oh. Shelby convertible. We used okay. to have one of those. You used yeah. to have one? What happened to it? Uh, my ex got it and probably let it go to... Oh, oh I'm so sorry. 
You need to know. I know. Yeah. Exactly. Well, here's the question, though. Exactly. Uh, now, do you find that uh, um, as a woman gun owner, I mean, guns are technology, and if you like technology, does that have you has that transcended into other uh, mechanical toy things? In other words, now that you uh, you know, no one to understand guns. Has that increased the desire to understand, you know, fast cars or, or airplanes or sailboats or, you know, sailplanes or, or any high tech kind of uh, toy? I'm just curious. Has it inspired him? Uh, you know, do you want to learn to fly? For no, example? I don't think so. Okay. Do you want to learn no, to fly? I, no, never, never been interested in that. No, huh? can't okay. say that. I've always yeah. been, always liked the old fashioned muscle cars. Just, just like them. No, they just. Yeah, I take that over any high-end car, modern car these days. Mm-hmm. Do your guns reflect that? I don't want to give away personal information, but do you? I mean, if you have classic cars, do you have classic guns? You know, classic revolvers, maybe like a single action, or classic like lever-action rifles. Does does the, the classic? And like I said, I don't want to give away your you know guns that you own, but do you have? Does uh, as much as you want to say, does that inspire an interest in some of the classic firearms, for example? Well, I've always been into antiques. I okay. like antiques. Well, I can't say uh-huh. I always was. Uh, there was a certain time in my life when I just started getting interested in antiques, and it's just I do have antique furniture. And when hmm. you, and you know, I, sometimes I've looked at antique firearms because, or if someone's out there shooting some kind of old, could be a military rifle or something from World War One or something. Mm-hmm. When they go, oh, you want to shoot this? Well, I never say no. You know, <laughs> never say not. no to that. So you fired black powder? Then, have you fired black powder? Uh, like a musket? No, I have not. But when oh, I'm holding guns or, or, or touching furniture, you think about how many people have owned that or what did they use that for, whether it's a gun or you know a piece of furniture. Well, furniture, you know what they use it for, but... You know, was it to defend themselves or it, it's just there's a lot of history and, and you kind of you kind of think about that. I do. Anyway, I think about that when I, I'm shooting an antique gun or purchasing a piece of antique furniture. Where's this piece of quit, first piece of furniture been? Who used it? Who what carried they, it? Did, Why did they carry your gun? Yeah. Yeah. So that stuff there. Um, but. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I'm curious because, you know, I have always had an interest in airplanes. Uh, when I got interested in guns, I mean, the mechanics of it, you know, kind of fascinate me. And, uh, you know, and also things like I say, sailboats. So my things would be guitars, guns, um, sailboats. Although I haven't tried racing boats. That, that's, that's what you're doing. Hopefully you get out in one of them. But uh, I just find that if you have an interest in technology, an interest in guns, it transcends to other things. Or if you have an interest in other things, you know, of technology that will translate to guns eventually because there, there's a fascination with the actual workings of a firearm. And it, it's quite an amazing process the way it goes. How much energy, you know, that goes into that, that bit of powder and that primer that ignites that powder that creates a gas that sends a, a hunk of lead, you know, down a barrel at a ridiculous speed, you know, with a twist for, for which sometimes can be an incredibly long distance. I just find that interesting. We've never really talked about the physics of firearms, but uh, do you have an interest in that no. as well? I want to get to Bianchi. You don't care? <laughs> no. No, I was just going to say one thing that getting into firearms got me here. You know, got me defending the Second Amendment. I definitely can say that. Um, oh, that's true. But as far as, far as uh, one time I, I I didn't really take the time to do long-range um, mm-hmm. course because uh, I was the manager at the time. But I sat in on a few classes and I went, oh, wow, there's a whole lot of math to that. So I'm sure if I actually sat down and, saw, and 
participated in the whole class, it'd probably make more sense. But I would jump in every once in a while and go, oh, what are they talking about? But, yeah, there's, there's some really cool stuff about that. Because you think yeah. about someone in the military that's a sniper, that that's not that's hard to do. I mean, that, that's not like that movies make it look real easy, definitely. But you have to have someone to the weather. They don't show you the misses, that's, yeah. Yeah, they don't show you the, the times they missed and how many takes they had to do to make that hit. So you, they might have 25 misses before you get that hit that you actually see in the movie. <laughs> you know, you never know. That's that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you so have you tried long range shooting? Because I used to do thousand yard competitions, and I was competing against military snipers. And guess what? They won. <laughs> <laughs> they better. They better be doing better than me. You know the amateur. But yeah. oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. Thousand yard shooting is fascinating because the bullet, the flight time was a second and a half. And you may not think of that as a long time, but if you're in a twenty mile an hour wind, that's about thirty feet, you know, of, of, of travel that you have to correct for over the course of a thousand yards. No, uh, I've, so I've you, never done any long shooting. Not yet, anyway. Oh, it's maybe, fun. Maybe I'll do that someday. Okay. Let's get a Pianchi. Pianchi, what are your favorite cars? And do you see the relationship? You know, if you like cars, you like guns, you like airplanes, you like, you know, guitars, you like technology. I'm just curious. A 1967 Grand Tourismo option, better known as GTO. Ooh, Grand Turismo. I, was, I thought you were going to go with the Grand Torino, which is the one from uh, Clint Eastwood's film. The, but that was interesting. Yeah, GTO. So you're a GTO guy, huh? Okay. That's interesting. See, I want a 67 Pontiac Firebird. So, you know, it, well, here's a question for you both. Totally off topic, but who cares? This is fun. Have you noticed that American cars at one point were the best in the world, were the most interesting, were fun? They actually had real colors. They were, they were great to drive. Uh, and uh, we just lost it. I think when we lost our cars, we lost our way as a nation in many respects. So after 72, we became, you know, generic and uh, the cars became government regulated and aerodynamic. And they're boring. They're really boring. You know, you, there's no 61 Mustang uh, or, or, you know, or 65 Mustang, excuse me. There's no 61 Corvette. There's no 57 Chevy. There's nothing like those cars today. I think we've lost our way as Americans uh, in a major way. No, Oh, T- oh the Tebers were wonderful. Oh, in a 1963 Chevy Super Sport Impala. There you Ooh-wee. go. Oh, yeah, exactly. Okay. So, now, so, so name a car today that excites you. <laughs> Thought so. Shirley, name a car that you can't wait to buy. It is so exciting. It's, you dream about it. You say, I want to be in that car. Anything come to mind? Nothing in the, in the current market because basically at some point they all start looking alike. There's no that distinction. I used mm-hmm. to have a Corvette. Corvette, the old style. You had a Corvette. Corvette. What year? Yeah, we had a '77 and okay. uh, uh, not not back the old old ones, which were really cool. But uh, I can't remember the other. There's two different ones. And okay. I like, but I like the '72. Yeah. They all start looking. That looking the same. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of rounded. Everything seems to look the same these days. But anyway, we no. I think that <laughs> I think that goes to our, our character. And think about the, the the individual, the rugged American, the pioneer, the individual spirit. You know, you've got guns that make you individual. You've got cars that set you as an individual. You know, and now it's all the same. 
You know, you can't have guns. You got to live in the same house. You got to have the same amount of energy. You've got to use the electric car. It looks like, uh, you know, they all look the same. They all work the same. They've taken the government's like taking all the fun out. And I think that's a that's a huge aspect of gun ownership and everything else. Our national character and as individuals, you know, the pursuit of happiness to me includes, you know, certain uh, acquisitions of, of of property. In other words, I want I want guns that are fun to shoot. I want airplanes that are really really fast. I want cars that I can, uh, you know, put the top down and, and get the breeze and get the wind in my face, you know. And so there's a certain, I think we lose something when we lose our fun technology. And uh, I think guns are a big part of that. Cars are a big part of that. You know, uh, sailplanes. Uh, Pianchi, you ever been up in a sailplane? Or, you know, ever been up in a glider? That's a different world. I thought you, I thought you, uh, I thought you had a bit of judgment in me by now. Oh, so in other words, you have been up in a glider. Okay, yeah. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Going up with no glider, man. You don't have a glider? Why not? You don't need an engine. No, 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 no. Oh, you only get one landing, though. That's the only thing about a glider. you got to do it right the first time. <laughs> There's no going around. Oh, I, I've got a couple of hours in gliders. Gliders are a kick. Got some time in balloons, too. So my daughter up for a birthday, and we went up in a hot air balloon. So I'll, I'll find pretty much anything. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm easy. But, um, yeah. Do you, do you think we've lost something as a name because we don't uh, value fun? We don't value our technology. We don't value uh, things that uh, make life more interesting. I think we have. I think the government, and it's a big government problem. Everything's the same. Everything's mandated. Everything's regulated. We've lost our excitement as a, as a country, and we're suffering because of it. Panel? I know. I, you, I think you're, you're, I agree. There, there's that creativity is pretty much gone. Everything looks, looks the same. Everything's getting more cookie cutter. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. Do you know what it reminds me of? East Berlin. Scariest place I ever was in my life was East Berlin. <clears throat> this is back when the Berlin Wall was up. This is, so early, this is like uh, 82. It was 82. So I'm in Europe. And, um, you know, sent postcards, uh, you know, to my folks. If you don't hear from me for three weeks, please call the State Department. I'm going to East Berlin. <laughs> I actually sent that, right? Fortunately, it took three weeks to get there uh, back in those days. So I was actually out of East Berlin, out of uh, back to West Berlin before, uh, before this happened. Anyway, but I went there and I walked around and, I, and everything looks the same. The buildings look the same. The people all wore the same. They either had brown or gray. Uh, all the clothes were the same. There was no advertising. The streetcars were all the same. Sort of this beige neutral color. All the food in the stores was the same. They all had the same state label, state peaches, state beans. All the bread came in the same cheap plastic bags. Uh, everything was literally the same. The restaurants were all the same and nobody was there because, you know, why would they work? They get paid anyway, whether anybody shows up or not. People can't afford to do it. Everything was the same. This is held to me. Okay. The, the problem with communism, uh, yes, it's an oppressive political system. Yes, people go in gulags and yes, people are killed, but the majority of people die of boredom. It is unbelievably boring. And when I see our country here losing cars that are interesting, airplanes that are interesting, I mean, where's the 707? Surely, I don't know if you ever got to, to fly in one, but uh, that was a kick-ass airliner. You knew you were in a 707. When, that, when those engines revved up and you screamed down the runway in a 707, you knew you were flying. Now, it's, it's nice. I mean, the airplanes are fun, but they're, they're, they're not the same. It's just not the same. Um, we had an excite- Life was more exciting. You know, those old airliners flew by, by, you know, mechanical linkages. There were no computers. They had to balance the fuel. If they didn't balance the fuel right and drain from the right tanks, the plane uh, would fall out of the sky. Most people don't know that. So you, had, you were active participants. There were no auto, you know, the autopods were minimal. 
You know, cars didn't have cruise control. You had to drive them. They didn't have lane, you know, alerting things where you could sit back and sleep. You know, it was a very different world. You were an active participant. Stick shifts. I love stick shifts. Losing stick shifts. We're losing the ability to have control over the car for the actual gear changes. I just see this as a problem. You know, we're losing what makes life interesting. We're becoming East Berlin. That's, that's a scary thought. And then the, the cars are, you know, people aren't even focused anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. my car, because my other car got totaled because someone drove into me, but mm-hmm. the one I have now it does have that, you can shut it off, the sensors, that when people come beside you. When I first started driving, I went, what's that? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, you, you've got one of those traffic lights shut off? Huh? Yeah, it keeps shutting off the engine? Oh, I shut that off. I can't stand that when it shuts yeah. itself off. Oh, my gosh, it drives me crazy. Like, it stalls out. Like, yeah, I have to shut that off. Well, yeah, Every I mean, time people, I get people don't realize. Push that you keep starting a hot engine, eventually, I don't know if they'd have vapor lock because you've got fuel-injected engines now, but you used to have vapor lock in the carburetor cars in the summertime. I had a 1970 Dodge Coronet. You started more than three times if it was over 100 degrees. Uh, that was it. That's all you got, three starts. The fourth one would not happen <laughs> until the car cooled down. It just would not. But, uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, there's, there's these cars that are all... And think about that, too. Why would the government mandate that cars have to shut down uh, at a traffic light and restart? That's government overreach. And people are expecting it. So, oh, okay, no problem. I mean, how many starters do they think they're going to go through? Oh, yes, I've heard that it's not a problem. I'll bet you it is. Uh, if you want to make some money, well, Pianchi, you, you, you know the market. Would you invest in car starter companies at this point, <laughs> given what they're doing? Uh, a car starter, you say? Yeah, companies that make uh, starters for cars, considering that all the new cars, they have to shut down every, uh, every, uh, every time they get to a traffic light. <laughs> well, it's fine. Derek just popped on the line, so we'll, we'll ask him that same question. <laughs> you know, it'd be interesting. So, Shirley, why don't you give all your contact stuff, your book, and, uh, and we still need an hour to cover, um, even though we're in November, we still need to cover <laughs> domestic violence, you know, for, for uh, a show and cover your book for an hour. But let's get your contact stuff, and then we'll talk money. Okay. So, like I said, uh, if you're interested in joining the D.C. Project, Women for Gun Rights, supporting your Second Amendment, you can go to D.C. Project. Dot info, and you can either join us and become a delegate. You ladies can join us in any state or in all states, or you can make a donation to support us. We are a grassroots organization. I do have a book out there. It's called Heels to Holster. It tells the story of my um, become my being a victim of, of uh, domestic violence and then becoming a survivor as I learned to defend myself and go on with my life. So you can buy that on Amazon. And I will not be on the show next week because I will be in the Keys at the offshore motor or boat race promoting the DC project. So if you're in the Keys, stop by and see us, see our booth. And I am back. Wait a minute, you can't call us? You you, you can't call us from the boat race? Oh, come on. Give us a call from the boat race. Oh, come on, Shirley, please. (laughs) Well, it depends. They're second. We're told that there'll be like 40,000 people passing through there. So we'll see what it's like. I have no idea what to expect. We're just going down there to see what it's like. So, yeah, it could be crazy busy because we only have three of us are going in. So we'll see. We'll see. If I okay. can, I definitely will do that. Well, good. And we got calls from January 6th in Washington. We had people that were there uh, during the, the uh, support of the Trump electors. So, uh, yeah, it can't be done. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you, Shirley. Uh, so, okay. 
that's my report for Action Radio. Have a great weekend. Great. Thank you very much. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets. Oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government. To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park of Edward Jones Financial Advisors joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the markets and your money. Good morning, Derek. How are you doing? Good morning. How's it going? Very well. Uh, I have a question for you immediately. I thought of during the, the time that your theme uh, was going through. We have an uh, election and we have a midterm on Tuesday. A lot of people are early voting. I'm going to go vote after the show. Uh, but what is fascinating to me is ever since the Saudis announced that they were going to cut production 2 million barrels, the economy has dropped rapidly. Uh, it seems to me that the, the forces, the, the economy gods have not done a good thing for the Democrats, which is fine with me. Have you noticed the change over the last month? And do you see a change in attitude in people? Do you see the economy stumbling? But it seems to me the last month, and this is something the Democrats would have avoided if at all costs, that this is not a government you know, planned situation right before an election. What do you think? Um, you know, I mean, that's, 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 that's hard to say. Um, well, another possible question. The, I do that to him all the yeah, time. Yeah. Well, as for the 2 million barrels of oil, I mean, we have a lot of other things going on right now. So for okay. the past three weeks, you know, the market overall has risen again, right? You know, mm-hmm. so uh, That's good. we've seen pretty, pretty decent returns coming up out of the hole. Um, you know, interest rates have, have stayed steady up until, you know, yesterday or um, – day prior, um, you know, the Fed raised rates again, another three quarter basis points, which we kind of figured was on the on the table. So, mm-hmm. I mean, since then, the market has taken another beating. Right. So market went down about about a percent uh, the day they made the rate hikes after the market moved around all day. Um, mm-hmm. And then yesterday, um, you know, weirdly enough, you know, the volatility index is down, but the market went down. So the volatility index is is the index that says what the market should be doing. You know, if the, if the volatility index is hmm. down, the market should be up. If the volatility index is up, the market should be down. Well, yesterday was kind of a weird day where the volatility index was down 2%, uh, 2.17, and the market went down another percent. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think that there's, some, there's still a lot of uneasy feelings in the market, um, and I don't at this point think that it's that – it's, political right now um you know i mean i i I would say you know next week when when we get when we get closer to things um, Mm -hmm. you know that it it might it might swing around a little bit you know i mean because they're waiting especially when the votes start coming in um you know i mean it's it's uh you know it may cause some choppiness in the market but ideally the markets want to see a side of the government take over right they don't want to see the split government that we've had for the past you know, four years where, you know, I mean, they're fighting. I mean, for the past two years, the government's been primarily Democrat. I mean, they own the House. Um, you know, they, the, the Senate is a deadlock with the swing vote uh, with the vice president, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they still can kind of control the Senate. Um, but, you know, I mean, overall, things can get pushed through uh, even if they don't want it to, right, because mm-hmm. they're outweighed by votes. Um, you know, so – 
um, you know, obviously when, when, when the government comes in, if, if, you know, the Dems take complete control, the market's going to want to see that, right? The market's going to want to see, hey, somebody's got control. We can stop this fighting thing. Things are going to move forward, right? It may not right. be the way what, what certain people want, um, you know, but that's, that's just the nature of the beast, right? Um, you know, if the Repubs take over, um, you know, well, let me say if the Dems take over, you know, the hard stance on oil is going to probably <laughs> persist. Right. Yeah. So we're, we're probably going to going to have some more problems and some things to things to come until they work themselves out. Right. Um, you know, if the Republicans take over, you know, I would assume that you're going to see oil leases improve. You know, what I mean, and it's going to take six months for this to take hold. Right. Uh, that makes sense. You're see the, the stance on oil kind of loosen up a little bit, you know, so, uh, um, I, you know, I mean, we, we've got an uphill battle where we are economically right now. Um, yeah. also are there reports like that? Are there reports uh, of people forecasting if the Demo- – uh, are there reports uh, coming out on Wall Street where they're saying if the Democrats take over, we think this might happen? If the Republicans take over, we think – or the Democrats stay or the Republicans take over, we think this might happen? Or are they saying it would be better – I mean, do they write articles where they say we really need the Republicans to take over to free up energy like it was under Trump? That will improve the economy and that will improve the market. I mean, what are they saying in terms of the economy yeah. and, and the markets? And the, and the government. So we actually uh, we actually have an article that one of our fund partners puts out that that uh-huh. shows you know um, it, it's it's a few charts that show what happens when the balance of power shifts and what the market does, right? Huh. So it basically says you know hey um, when the when the uh, when the Dems are in control, it's actually kind of a really cool article. So I'll, I'll kind of Can walk through it? what it is. Can you post um, it to our Action Radio Economics I, page? I have a or is I it internal? It, I have it. I have it, a physical copy of it uh, because they send it out. I'd have to ask for a digital. I don't. I don't even know if a digital exists or if I could post it. Um, Let me so find out right I now. I'll, I'll look it. I'll look it up right now. Uh, can you? Are you able to give the name of the person and the like their company or website or let anything? Me, or is let, it me, ever... let me let me see what what my rules are on this. What what okay. I can do with it? I'll wait. Uh, no before, rush. Yeah. Don't want to get yeah, you in trouble. What, what's the article? What the article does is it says, okay, um, what is the history of the market done mm-hmm. under under Democrats, right? Mm-hmm. And what is the history of the market done under Republicans? And then when there's major changes and major shifts in our government, what happens mm-hmm. to the market? And whether that's Dem-controlled or whether that's Republican-controlled. And really what, what happens is, is kind of interesting. So the duration of the market under Democrats um, has actually done better over time, right? The market has done like 0.65% better on average, right? So it's not it's not a huge margin, but they have done better, right? Um, under Republicans, uh, while it's not done better, Republicans have put in policy better intra-year movements, right? By like 2.6%, like a huge margin. Democrats have caused more damage to the market, right? Like intra-year and in, in short term, right? Mm-hmm. Basically saying hey, that they've lost you a return of like 1.6 or 1.5 percent less than than the averages, right? So basically, it, the article kind of says that, that the Democrats have caused more short-term problems, but ended up with better long-term returns. You know, the Republicans have you know got better short-term returns, but long-term you know ended up about a little more than a little less than half a percent, you know, than than what the Dems have. Then it says, okay, well, when we have a Dem-controlled um, uh, Senate and a Dem-controlled house what the market returns look like intra-year and what they look like over like five years 
and then like a split government and then Republican controlled. And really what happens is like when it's Dem or Republican, the returns look really good and they, and they both average out very similar. But when it's split government, there's huge problems. You know what I mean? Like it shows, it shows intra year that there's, you know, there's, there's down markets. It shows, uh, you know, over a couple of years that the market kind of goes up and down. And basically what it's going to show is that, you know, the government, if it can't agree with each other, you know, that it causes problems in the economy. That's fascinating. No, I really want to see this article. This is, this is really intriguing. Pianchi, what do you think of this? this is, I, I'm, I love it. I think the states need to take control and not the federal government to the extent that they're doing. I mean, this whole idea that the federal government gives that you have to get leases to explore and drill and extract resources out of your state uh, land sounds preposterous to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with him. Uh, okay. You know, I mean, ultimately, you know, I mean, I think it should be left up to the states. I mean, that's the way the, the, the Constitution is written. And, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's it's it, it, it I think the states, you know, they they should have control over what happens in their state, you know, without the federal government over interference. If, if a state wants to drill and, and they're dealing with the, you know, ecological concerns, then that I think that's their problem. Yeah, we did a two-hour special report with uh, Dr. Roger Roots, who's a lawyer, a law professor. He's the one that uh, helped defend the Bundys when they had their big Bureau of Land Management uh, thing when the, when the BLM tried to steal their ranch. Uh, fascinating guy. He was a member of uh, Fully Informed Jury Association. We talked about uh, jury nullification and things like that. But we spent two hours on on the Constitution and the, the Western states, and the federal government has no claim, no legal claim to all the land that they are controlling right now. So the Western states, Pianchi is absolutely right, and I don't know, Pianchi, I think you were there during that show, but uh, we talked about this uh, of the, federal, the land the federal government can own. I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of details now, but it's basically the borders uh, and land under military bases and DC. And everything else, that, every land that is in a state, unless it's on the federal border, and only that narrow strip that is the actual border itself, that's state land. And the federal government has no claim to it per the Constitution. So the idea of the states giving all their land to the feds, which is what they're doing, is crazy, especially these days. Any of those states out west especially could take that land, drill on it, make their own state regulations and laws, and do whatever they damn well please. Now, is there any, any movement in Congress I mean, in, in, the, in the markets to say, look, we could have energy independence if the states simply took back their, their constitutionally, uh, uh, you know, limited land of the federal government. Is anybody talking about that? Um, none that I've seen. I'm sure if I search that specific thing, you could find plenty of things on it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, what but the oil I, I have, they should be putting it out. American oh, Petroleum I'm, I'm Institute. Sure, you, know what I mean? but, yeah. um, you know, based on the, the algorithms that are set and things like that. I'm sure some of those articles are suppressed. <laughs> I, I might even look for one right now. Well, let's get the report, which we always tend to forget. And we will be stopping at uh, eight o'clock at the top of the hour today because Mike is here for, for our Friday science. And so we're or science Friday. I've got here my, my little uh, thing here. So let's get the report, please, if we can. And uh, feel free to say page two. <laughs> and uh, let's see what, what's, what's going on. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Derek Park with Ever Jones, bringing you the daily financial market report. Equity markets finished lower again after Wednesday's sell-off at the back of a disappointing Fed commentary. The Fed raised rates by expected 75 basis points, but signaled rates could stay higher for longer to combat inflation. Growth-style uh, stocks underperformed, 
which has become a trend this year as policy rates rise. Treasury yields were also on the move with the two-year hitting a level not seen since 2007 and the 10-year trading around 4.2. On the international front, European, Asian, and Australian shares were also lower. The dollar strengthened against the basket of currencies. It was a broadly a risk-off sell, uh, a risk-off day as investors recalibrate for higher rates in 2023 with no rate cut in sight. Hmm. Page two. <laughs> the U.S. equities closed lower. Uh, with the Dow Jones down 147 points, or 0.46 to 32,001 points. And then NASDAQ closed down 182 points, or 1.73% to 10,343. And the S&P 500 closed down 40 points, or 1.06 to 3720. And then the bond market, 10-year Treasury yields are trading at 4.15, higher by 0.09. In the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was down $1.90, or 2.11% to 88.10 per share, and the price of gold was down $16 or uh, $16.40 or uh, point, minus 0.99 uh, to 16.33.60. Uh, this is Derek Park of Edward Jones, member SIPC. You can get me at 850-995-0082. It's fascinating that the price of oil has not skyrocketed with the, the war in Ukraine, the, uh, the sabotage of the uh, the Nord Stream uh, pipelines. Of course, that's natural gas. But uh, with all the the complaints about oil, you know, being strangled by all these different countries, it's still eighty eight dollars a barrel. And we haven't even opened up our oil fields. If, if we opened up our oil like under Trump, it'd probably what forty fifty dollars a barrel, maybe. This is interesting to me. Um, yeah, I don't know that it'd be that low. I mean, but okay. you know, I mean, definitely, definitely under. Under seventy, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to be that uh, low. But, you uh, know, yeah, Pianki. You know what's worse yet is that you got national agencies like the CIA that's working in cohorts to b- blow up gas supply lines, pipelines, which is going to affect the consumers of the American people. That there in itself is is a tragedy that shouldn't be allowed to go on. I mean, uh, these, these yeah. Uh, geopolitical, yeah, these geopolitical issues and the way they go about doing them, then it affects American citizens. We're paying for this out of our pocket. We never will recoup, recoup the damages yeah. that's done. And Pianchi, with that kind of talk, you better watch out. You're going to fall down the elevator shaft onto some bullets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, the economy and the, uh, the it's a global economy. It's also a global political situation. Um, and so, well, is it, now we think about it, have the globalists, the, the World Economic Forum, the people that want us eating bugs and not having any private property and tell us we'll, we'll be happy. Um, they're putting, trying to put everybody in a permanent electric uh, footing, even though electricity comes from, as I call it, 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 it it's fossil electricity. Because it's being generated by oil, coal, natural gas, you know, and uranium. It's the organic fuels, as I call them. Um, so, so how is world, how is oil looked upon from a from a political, geo, strategic, and economic viewpoint? Is it uh, the rise of OPEC? We didn't even have OPEC. Nobody nobody mentioned OPEC during the Trump administration because we were producing so much oil they weren't a factor. But now they're back because we're not producing oil, so there's no counterbalance to them. So is there anything – are people talking about that? In the oil? Let's just take oil because otherwise we get too complicated here. But oil on the world market, are people worried that uh, we're, not de- we're not developing, we're not using ours? Uh, OPEC is back limiting theirs uh, because they can uh, and how that plays into our personal our, – our national economy here. 
Any, any uh, yeah, that's kind um, of a big question. I had, yeah, an article on this recently. Um, oh, okay, and it was a very short snippet, and I, I, the article was was basically about how the OPEC leaders hate Joe Biden. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> hate Joe Biden. Yes, they um, do. You know, and, yeah. it, and it. Well, it built a it built a case for it, you know. I mean, I'm I'm uh-huh. sure you know the article had its own little political spin to it, but it, it you know I mean, it, it, just like every article that's written, it had it had substance and it had information to back why, mm-hmm. um, you know the the ultimate the ultimate point of the story was, you know, Trump when he was in office was buying oil in bulk from them, you know, mm-hmm. while bolstering our own, um, you know, so he was bartering deals to buy it. Uh, separately to to stack our oil, strategic oil reserve, right? right. Um, he did well, that's where it came from? That was Saudi of, oil? Of, of, or say again? Was that Saudi oil that we, we put into our strategic petroleum reserve? I, I don't know oil? specifically. I, I okay, don't know because I don't think the article – yeah, I don't think the article got into that kind of detail. But what it did was it showed what production was. It showed where these extra deals bolstered you know, extra money that was going to these countries because we were trying to stack our reserve while while bolstering our own oil independence. Um, you know, uh, the agreements were basically, hey, that we were bolstering our own, which meant that it put less pressure on their own supply chain. But the mm. fact that we were buying these bulk things made their pockets feel good, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, so I guess it's kind of a, a, a good way to say it. Um, you know, they were still getting their income from these big deals. Uh, but, you know, as soon as Biden comes in and, you know, cuts production, cuts pipelines, does all this stuff, then now it puts pressure on them to keep up with, with you know, the thirstiest country in the world. Um, you know, so if they don't want to do it, you know, now they know that, that they control uh, they control our economy with how much they produce. And, you know, I mean, if they if they agree with a leader and don't agree with a leader, then guess what? I mean, we're the ones who pay the price for it. Yeah, now that's fascinating. I, and like I say, I'm curious why the price of oil. I'm glad the price of oil hasn't gone up, but it is an interesting situation. It's very precarious, and the Saudis do hate Biden, and they hate him for a very good reason. You know, we had, uh, and this is where politics and economics kind of cross over. So it's kind of interesting things to talk about here. But uh, the politics of oil, uh, especially, uh, they don't like Biden because Biden is, is trying to give a nuclear bomb to Iran. You know, why would you want that? You know, he's he's bolstering right. the Palestinian state. You know, and nobody, nobody, the Arabs don't want the Palestinians. Otherwise, they would uh, back them and have them in their own country. But they don't. <laughs> so they isolate these people. Mm-hmm. Like the, nobody wants them. They're like the outcasts of, of, of the Arab world. Israel, you know, is probably better to the Palestinians than any of the Arab countries. That's fascinating, too. The Abraham Accords, the, the lack of, uh, of these trade agreements, these wonderful – well, let me ask you this. I know we talked about it, but it's been a while. That when the Abraham Accords were going on, when Bahrain, when Qatar – and they actually said Qatar. I know that now. It's not gutter. <laughs> I heard that from Qatar. They're advertising on, on American media. It's fascinating. Um, but uh, some Morocco, who else? Uh, I think uh, Algeria, some of these different countries that you never expect were making trade deals. Saudi said, I think they did too with Israel. But all, all of a sudden, all these nations are trading with each other because Israel is, is, is you know, really advanced. They've got a great economy. They've got smart people. They've, got, uh, they've figured right. things out, like desalination. You know, they've, done, they've done more than uh, uh, like Saudi Arabia, which is pretty much an, an oil-only economy. It's a mono-economy. And then Brandon comes in and screws all that up, all mm-hmm. that wonderful work. Well, it's not going to make them appreciate it. No, is that being talked no about? not at all. I mean, I, um, you know, I mean, not, uh, you know, not in that sense specifically, but yeah, I mean, uh, the, the article, um, you know, was, was basically, you know, I mean, how, 
Uh, yeah, like I said, like or I guess like you said, I mean, how they how they, you know, despise Joe Biden um, and mm-hmm. his policy. Yeah, but it's really Obama's policy. This is the thing that uh, the, the crazy part. This is this is Obama's third term. He gets to he gets to do all the damage, but not get any of the responsibility for it because everybody's blaming you know Brandon. But Brandon's not responsible for this, the, these policies. Brandon's not the one there. He's just there. You know, and it, it, we have a weird situation where we have a, a government. You, you you can criticize Brandon all you want, but he's not doing it. The person that is doing it or the group that's doing it is not being held accountable. So we're getting these horrendous policies, but that's their, 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 we're being run by an ideology or an idiocracy, as I call it, but it's having a huge effect. So at what point do these people realize, or, or are they going to realize that this, this, this mythical solar wind economy they're trying to generate ain't going to work and that uh, they're really running these electric cars? They're basically fossil electric cars. They're running their, their fossil fuel generated electricity as opposed to fossil fuel gasoline which I call organic fuel. It, yeah, the hypocrisy yeah. is hysterical. They're not, they're, not make, they're not connecting the dots. Yeah, that seems to be a, a common occurrence right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just curious to see when the election. So is anybody forecasting? Well, let's listen to a little forecasting ourselves. Um, I forecast if the Democrats keep Congress by, by stealing it, that uh, the economy is going to tank because I think people have been desperately waiting for the midterms to stop this nonsense. And Americans have been putting up with the high gas prices. They've been putting up the shortages. They've been putting up with things because, A, winter's not here yet, and, B, we figure the Republicans will turn this around. So if the Democrats maintain control or the Republicans give it to them, you're going to see major protests, major economic upheavals, major uh, – it's going to be a bad situation if the Democrats win. What do you guys think? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are, you know what I mean? But if the Democrats win, like I said, the market wants to see somebody take over, you know what I mean? So if, if it okay. does, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some, some initial, um, you know, initial, uh, problems in the market because, you know what I mean? The market always does that. There's an initial knee jerk reaction, but, mm-hmm. um, I think after that, it's going to work itself out. I mean, it, it, it always does regardless of which, which direction it goes. Um, you know, ideally, you know, if if the Republicans win, I mean, we all know that they're going to get uh, a little bit easier on oil. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, so uh, ideally, that's a big problem that we have right now. So, of course, it would probably work itself out. Ideally, if the Democrats keep control, they're going to continue to be hard on it. So those two things we can pretty much be sure of where we are right now. Yeah. Um, what if the Democrats want to spend more really? money? Yeah. If the Democrats want to spend a bunch problems. more money. All right. Go ahead, Bianchi. One of the big problems is that you've got young people in between the age of 25 and 44 and so forth that's leaving, fleeing these states because there's no jobs. Cost of living is extraordinary. States like Massachusetts, uh, Iowa, Maine, North Dakota, the Carolinas, West Virginia, California, they're running from these states because the cost of living is extremely high. And the wages that they can there's no jobs there's no high paying jobs per se mm. we got I mean, a question in there <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just curious yeah it's, I, I, it sounds like a good comment to me. <laughs> I mean, well you know and that, yeah. that's fair too um but uh i'm thinking of a scenario too that and this is a question i was, I was thinking about just a, just a minute ago that if the democrats retain power that they're going to think that what they're doing is, is people approve of you know even if they steal it uh, so they'll justify that they got a mandate. And so I see them spending more. And if they spend more, 
and tax more and borrow more and print more, you're going to have higher interest rates. You're going to have more inflation. You're going to have uh, this horrible situation. They're going to be on the accelerator, which is spending and, and, and debt and printing money. And the Fed's going to be on the break, which is higher interest rates. Things are going to get really bad. I think people really think that the Republicans are going to take over and it's going to be a better situation. And they're just holding their breath. Oh, wait, oh, please get us through Tuesday so we can fix this. But you can't fix it unless the Republicans get a two-third majority, and they're not going to get that. They're not going to get a veto-proof court. So it doesn't matter what they do. you still got Brandon for two years unless you correct the election and get his ass out of there you know, with the Trump electors, which are still out there, by the way. Uh, I know that because the Democrats are terrified of those, of those Trump electors. That's what January 6th is all about. Um, but anyway, but the, but the thing is, in terms of the markets, you know, uh, are the markets thinking that the Democrats are in power and they get their mandate, you know, and they're going to spend even more money? Because what do they care? They got away with five trillion so far. Why not just right. let's make it ten trillion? What does it matter? It's only money. Right. <laughs> Has anybody thought about that? Only, uh, you know, I saw a, a good meme on Facebook that says uh, inflation is the cost of things that you thought were free by the government. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, I think it was uh, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> uh, it was a picture with him and. You know, and it said Ronald Reagan. So uh, I, I mean, like I, I find it very interesting. Yeah, it sounds like that? Milton Friedman actually. It sounds like Milton Friedman actually. That sounds yeah. like he would say. I yeah. it might be. Well, yeah. well, let's take a, let's take a the Republicans. Are, are people on the mar- and, and Wall Street saying, "Oh, we need the Republicans to take over because they will open up the energy. They will do this. They will do that. They will stop government spending. They will, you know, do all the things they say they're going to do, which they won't." Um, or are they saying that they won't? Are they saying that even if the Republicans take over? They're still not going to fix this. It's still going to be the Democrats in charge because of Brandon. What are they saying about that? No, I'm not really. I'm not really seeing anything on that. But I, you know, I mean, I, I basically see a lot of things. And I mean, I, I read articles from about six different sources because everybody knows mm-hmm. the, you know, certain news sources have certain slants. And yeah. you know, Personal I mean, I, I try to do that to get <laughs> yeah. I try to do that to get a, a general feel of, you know, I mean, if I find two articles, I find two two companies or two two news sources that wrote an article on the same thing, but how they spin it to to fit, you know, their their watcher base, um, you know, and I mean, it, you see stuff that basically says, um, you know, if you go on, you know, uh, CNN, you see things that are like, you know, uh, repubs repubs gain steam. You know, um, you know, as as election nears, you know, and it doesn't really say that that there's some kind of red wave coming. It's just kind of like, hey, they gain steam. Then you go on to you know Fox, and it says, you know, Republicans staying ahead. You know, red wave on the way. You know, you're just like, okay, great. Uh, you know, so so you 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 see the difference in this stuff. But the general consensus that I see uh, when it comes to finance or even general news is. Mm-hmm. I, I think America has a little buyer's remorse, um, you know, for where they are, and I think that they want to start seeing changes, and they have lost faith that the people that they elected will do that, you know. So uh, they're they're wanting to change to different people. They're wanting to see, you know, different people come in and do different things, um, you know. So the articles are basically written to say. You know, hey, they see the Republicans taking over, and you know, I mean, they're they're looking for a change in the direction of the country. Yeah, actually, looking for a change back. Every time I hear uh, the Democrats say, "Well, the Republicans have no plan," and the GOP fails once again to to counter what they should say is, "Yeah, we have the perfect plan. We had it from 2016 to 2019, and it worked." 
That's our plan. <laughs> but they're not doing that because they don't like Trump either. Um, I've got Mike uh, on the line now, but I, I just had I unmuted him for a second. I had some noise. So you might want to wind up your car windows or things like that. Derek, I want to try and get you out of here on time. I'm going to try and uh, do that from now on So because yep. I know you're, you're a busy guy. So give your information again, contact stuff, and uh, I'll get on to Mike here. Yep, I appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. Uh, again, this is Derek Park with Edward Jones. You can get me at 850-995-0082. Hope you all have Great. a nice day. Thank you, sir. See you after the election. We'll have some more commentary then. (laughs) It'll be fun. (laughs) Bye-bye. Take care. Bye now. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Hello, this is Greg Pankless for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. All right, and in the anchor position of the week, tying us all up, our our last hour of this week before I take off and figure out what I'm going to do next week, (laughs) Mike Clinch with Science Friday. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you, sir? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I hear you fine. But like I say, we had a little bit of wind noise before, so you're either uh, driving with the top down or, or, or the sunroof open or the windows or something. <laughs> oh, well, I have pulled off of the 
Highway 98, otherwise known as the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Oh, there we go. And yeah. I am at the, the, the Pensa- yeah, Pensacola I'm at the Gulf Race. Ooh, which one? Up in uh, Milton? I'm, I'm, or, I'm not, or not the one? one in Milton. Okay. Yeah, the new one down here on 98. That's right so, at the uh, Okaloosa, Santa Rosa County line. Okay, I know where you are. Okay, so for those that are wondering, the, our new listeners in, in Armenia <laughs> who joined us and our, our other folks, actually, we have, no, seriously, we have countries, we have a, a couple of new ones. Uh, Zimbabwe is now uh, with us. So we have some uh, African countries that are joining us uh, and some of the European folks, um, Azerbaijan and uh, some of the other places are here too. We still don't have Ukraine yet, but the, the, they're, they're kind of busy right now. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so we're in the Gulf of Mexico and uh, near Pensacola, Florida. And so that's, uh, we've got Escambia County. I'm in Santa Rosa County, next one over. Okaloosa County is the county after that. And that's where Mike is right now. So uh, yeah, so Publix is our big grocery chain. You know, they have Safeway out west. Uh, uh, no, they have Safeway up in New England where I used to live. They have, uh, uh, what's, what is it in, in California? I've forgotten. Anyway, <laughs> and I used to go there all the time too. I should know. Lucky, lucky, I and something know. else. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, but anyway, every like area has their grocery you. stores. Yeah. Anyway, so Publix yep. is is kind of a weird name, but uh, it's a good store. It's sort of between Whole Foods at the top, uh, and then I go Trader Joe's, and then I go Publix, and then I go uh, uh, like Winn Dixie, which are other supermarkets. So it's it's a pretty decent level. Good delis, good things like that. So, are you indulging in new food? Have you discovered something new? No, no, not yet. I, they, uh, what I'm interested in is these grocery stores that are now serving wine. You know, they have a wine bar or whatever. The one in downtown Pensacola has a wine bar. a wine bar? Uh, yeah. Oh, is it yeah. real wine, like, like a liquor licensed wine? wine you, or, uh, huh. I'm certain of it. I mean, they would have to buy the drink. So <laughs> buy the glass. Okay. So well, the kids I, in supermarkets, I, yeah, it's, how do they do that? Well, they want your... They want your, your shopping experience to be a, a holistic, you know, cover all the bases. Uh, and then you drive home with the kids? The they put, Wait, this is, this is not a good idea. You have, you have I, uh, you know, I, maybe I'm not single passing people. judgment. I'm simply. I am. Yeah. I'm, simply <laughs> I'm passing judgment. What I do, I'll pass you're judgment. the host. You can. I'm just a lowly guest. Oh, no, you know, you're not. You're, there's there's nobody lowly on this venue, show. But think so. about that for a second. Think about that. The, the, the idea of serving wine in a grocery store where you know you have families, kids, things like that. Obviously, the, any decent parent's not going to drink a glass of wine when they got their kids. You just don't do that. But uh, I home, hope not. Different situation. But, but at, uh, while you're shopping, you've got to watch the kids and you're going to have a glass of wine. So I imagine this is the singles market. But a lot more people are single now, too. So that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I was never comfortable meeting people in a in a grocery store. I don't know why, but you know, exchanging phone numbers over ground beef just didn't do anything. For <laughs> oh, me. oh, listen. So, there are there are literally meat markets. You heard the expression meat market? <laughs> well, there are meat yeah, markets that exactly, actually that are meat markets. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was uh, it was a store in I forgot which one in California. Maybe it was a Safeway. Maybe it was no. That was uh, maybe it was Safeway. I forgot what the New England store was. Anyway, because it's been a while. Anyway, but there's oh, a, yeah, a store. There there's a grocery store that's near Fisherman's Wharf uh, in the Marina District of San Francisco that Thursday nights is singles night at the grocery store. And people literally go there to meet other singles. <laughs> I'm serious. Well, this is San Francisco. What do you want? Well, you know, I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's a, step, a step above the Internet. I mean, you're actually physically seeing the person. You're actually, you know, talking to them one-on-one. You're not mm-hmm. in the middle of a chat room with a million other people who you have no clue who they are. And, okay. So from a scientific yeah, at least that's perspective, a little more on- 
Okay, so from a scientific I'm pr- perspective, from a scientific perspective, Mr. Science, what would be the best yes. fruit, vegetable, meat, or or other item to meet somebody with? Where where would you where would you chocolate. go? Chocolate. Chocolate. Smart man. Let's, okay. Let's be honest. What's the universal romantic food? Chocolate covered strawberries or chocolate covered cherries? We'll have to have, we'll do, we'll, we'll do a food show for Valentine's. All right, now let me ask you this. So, so, so let's get into the science aspect yeah. of this. What is in chocolate okay. that makes it a romantic food? It's totally different from what we're going to talk about, but that's what makes this show fun. So what's in chocolate? Tell uh, me. The, I'm, I believe it's the caffeine. I believe that the caffeine in chocolate, you know, there is caffeine in chocolate, and because and you can get uh, decaffeinated chocolate. I don't know why you would. What's the point? You know, it's just like sugar-free chocolate. Why? You know, let's let's keep all the good ingredients there. I think it, well, it, that bad it's for you, the but, aroma yeah. too. Okay. It's the aroma too. It's not uh-huh. just the the ingredients. It's the wafting of the aroma that I think really makes chocolate the perfect. Because when you open up the the top of a box of chocolates, everybody gets that first charge. You know what I mean? Kind of like uh-huh. the first time you taste a good whiskey. Only it's chocolate, and I love it. It's just chocolate and red wine. So you're just a romantic at heart. Is that what you're telling us? Well, <laughs> yeah, as much as a science teacher can be, yeah. <laughs> well, see, but, but I, I was curious I about science. I, 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 don't know, uh, I don't know if you, exactly, you studied nutrition at all, but I'm fascinated by this. Because I know chocolate has flavonoids, which are antioxidants. So chocolate does protect right. you from cancer. Uh, chocolate has uh, heart things. It's got, uh, it's got the caffeine for a stimulant, mm-hmm. but it's nowhere near as strong as coffee. Uh, and, in fact, yeah. we, don't, we, have, we don't have chocolate bar. We have chocolate... Uh, I was just going to say, we have chocolate bars. In other words, you can go to like a, a cafe. It'd be interesting to have a, a restaurant or a place that is specifically for different chocolates. And we have chocolate shops. Oh, so yeah. I'm just wondering. I mean, yeah. Okay. Have you ever been, have you ever been to a, 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 what am I looking for? A mall or a, an outdoor yes, mall or an indoor mall? Okay. You obviously, yes. I figured that. The uh, <laughs> what I'm talking about is the amount of if you have a chocolate or a candy store or something like mm-hmm. that, it's always right. busy. It's always busy. I yeah. but all the other stores could be empty, but if there's a wine outlet, people are in there, and then if there's a candy store, people are in there. I mean, they're climbing the walls. And I we love sugar. Let's be honest. You know, we talk about science. You talk about how sugar's not good for you in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But we love it. We humans love it, and and we we desire it all the time. I think it's a great way to you know start your day. Get yourself a good sugar donut. Well, I'd love to have it. Go ahead. But all all food is sugar. If you look at the basic building block of food, glucose, C six H twelve O six. You got yeah. six. You got six carbons, twelve hydrogens, six oxygens. Okay, that's the basic building block. And we did a we in fact this would be interesting for you too. We did a show before where we compared carbohydrates to hydrocarbons. So hydrocarbons are petroleum. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got the carbon chain. You got an yep. octane, which is eight carbon atoms. That's where octane comes from. And so you have the amount of bonds. The the the, the higher the octane is, the higher the uh, the chemical bonds between the carbon atoms, and the more resistant it is to detonation. Yep. That's why it makes it higher performance because that fuel can operate at a higher temperature uh, and still operate as a fuel burning smoothly as opposed to detonating. So, but so so it's interesting. The parallel here's one for you. The parallels between a hydrocarbon you know, which mixes with oxygen in a fuel injection or a carbon system. So now you have the same carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen mixing as a fuel for your internal combustion combustion engine as you have the same carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen in a carbohydrate as fuel for your body. 
How does that strike you? Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And uh, uh, what was that? I just lost track of something. That thought just went away. But if you think about it, when, when you talk about carbon atoms and hydrogen and everything else, it's the build, mm-hmm. basic building blocks of everything. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about injecting them into your body and, you know, you, you have to be, I'm very conscious of my sugar. You know, I'm one of those type 2 diabetics. So I watch oh. my glucose every day and everything else. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I enjoy a good donut. I'm, I'm going to, my cheat food is either a donut or a chocolate shake. I, I love ice cream. That's my that's my killer food, and uh, I inherited that. My dad was a big chocolate and uh, ice cream person as well. So well, get a we mocha. Can all that stuff in your bu- get a mocha coffee because then you get your chocolate and your coffee caffeine, you know, and you'll be stimulated to exercise. <laughs> as, uh, well, as, as a matter of fact, I have one. I have a cup of coffee in my hand right now. Is it a I mocha? After I got my, uh, no, I just got regular coffee, but okay. it's pecan praline flavored. Ooh. So I love. Are you, are you stimulated? Has the coffee stimulated uh, you to talk to her on the show? Intellectually, I don't know. <laughs> well, let's find out. Well, we can do an experiment. What if we did an experiment? Let's do a show where you have a cup of coffee like 20 minutes beforehand, and a show where you don't, and then listen to the differences, and you tell me the difference. You know, you you know what you could do, and this is the, you know, there's a 30 point cognitive test uh-huh. that they give to folks that have had. Uh, brain injuries or, or other injuries that affect people neurologically, there's uh-huh. a 30-point cognitive test they give. It would be interesting to give that test before a venti something or anything and then do it again like an hour later. <laughs> he, he, he's using his he's Italian coffee sizes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. A oh, large. So grande? You don't want a grande? You want a venti? Yeah. Okay. I, well, you'd have to keep, to keep the experiment legitimate. You'd have to use the same amount. But well, I see, it I, I go for a grande. See how people, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see, people think a grande is smaller or think it's larger than a venti. They think oh, venti's grande larger? is grand. Well, no. Oh, the venti's larger? Oh, the venti's larger? I, I don't get I yeah, don't buy venti's much coffee. large. Ooh. Well, now, Starbucks used to have a Trenti, which a is, Trenti? A, was a supersized one. Yeah, a Trenti, T-R-E-N-T-I, I believe it was. But I don't do grande because I try and yeah I try and do grande so that I'm not you know overdoing it. You need What's to exercise the more. You drink two grandes or one. Yeah, I drink two grandes instead of one thing. So what's the oh. difference? But it would be great. It. it would be great to yeah. It would be great to compare somebody's intellectual ability or how they answer the questions on that thirty question cognitive test, mm-hmm. and then after they've had. Uh, supersized, whatever, uh, venti mocha decaf, or venti mocha caffeinated. You can't have decaf. Okay. Huh. And see, so, see how it compares. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to do the same thing with chocolate. And, and so, so do women who eat uh, a lot of chocolate, are they smarter than guys who don't? Would that be an interesting test? I think women in general are a lot smarter than us men most of the time. Well, let me, let me tell you something I, I found that's fascinating on that. Too. Uh, oh, yeah, but here's what, here's what I found. I read a, a really – in fact, I posted it on the Action Radio Mind page, so you have to scroll down a bit. Uh, but this was an amazing article talking about intelligence, that, that the intelligence of, of most women is pretty, you know, average to above average. So most women are fairly much mm-hmm. on the average to above average scale. There's not a huge variation. There's not a lot of geniuses, and there's not a lot of really stupid women, whereas guys – are all over the map. You've got many more genius men than women, and you've got many more complete moron 
men than women. So that the guys occupy a much greater uh, scale, you know, between genius and idiot uh, than women do. Women have a much narrower band where most women are reasonably intelligent. But most, but guys can be, you know, a lot of guys are absolute geniuses or absolute morons or somewhere in between. It's, it's a fascinating that the guy scale of intelligence is much more variable than the women's scale. I just found that interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I, and I think women uh, have an innate ability that men don't. I think there's, you know, this is, here we go, gender. Uh, to me, the ladies have an, a little bit more of a, oh, what's the term I want to use? Nurturing, not that men can't be nurturing, don't get me wrong. I've got a mm-hmm. brother-in-law who's very, very much a nurturer. But I think there's a fundamental scientific difference between men and women. Even though well, people obviously. are trying to gender blend everything. Yeah. yeah. And, and you look at the women to, that go into I politics. Think, look, look at the liberal women in politics. The ones that, like, uh, like Christy, like, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, I call her Witch Widmer. From Arizona? You know, Gretchen Widmer of, of uh, oh. no. Gretchen Widmer of, of, of yeah. Michigan, who locked down her state, acted as an absolute tyrannical dictator. Uh, some of the other folks, oh, Hillary yeah. Clinton, absolute dictator. So the, the, the nurturing women are not going into politics, <laughs> you know, just the opposite. But then you get the independent women like Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Lauren Boebert, and, and some of the other women that are they're mm-hmm. incredibly independent. Uh, it's just interesting. But anyway, but I, I was more curious about the effects of food. You know, now, does chocolate make you smarter as well as, you know, stimulating your emotional response? And that would be something you could do. I'm sure there's, I'm sure if you Google it, there is, I'm sure there's research out there as to how food affects IQ. And okay. how food well, I know there is. I've, I've, determines I've performance. Yep. Yep. Strawberries, yeah, blueberries, walnuts, uh, avocados, salmon, and uh, other things are good for your brain. Oh, yeah. And the omega, anything that's omega, heavy in omega-3s, mm-hmm. that also does. Because well, I still, that, yeah. even though they've, you know, kind of poo-pooed that for heart, I still take an omega-3 a day because huh. it's good for your eyes. I, and I, I have my family has a history. Yeah, my family has a history of uh, 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 glaucoma and mm. of the uh, macular re- degeneration. So lutein. I take uh, lutein. L-U-T-E. Yeah, lutein, L-U-T-E-I-N. That's the, that's the mm-hmm. supplement you need. Yep. Okay. Yep, and, huh. and, you know, you have to, as you get older, you know, you begin to, you, it is tougher to retain these vitamins. I found that out. I just got my blood work back the other day. And mm-hmm. I'm lucky I don't have any vitamin deficiencies. But mm-hmm. if you have a deficiency, uh, especially a D, everybody needs to know D is the great insulator against disease. D mm-hmm. is the one thing that you can take that really, they found that with uh, COVID. Those who have vitamin D deficiencies were much more susceptible to COVID than those who didn't. Mm-hmm. So vitamin D is my cheap too. A big... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Vitamin D three. Oh, so go to your local uh, food store, alternative food uh, nutrition place, uh, drugstore. There's a good one. You know, get some vitamin D. D three. It's uh, it's cheap. Yeah. You or can you can get, get sunshine the, too. The big thing so at Walmart. If, right. You can get the big yeah. thing at Walmart for like nine dollars, uh-huh. and yeah. it's got like five hundred, <laughs> and I take two a day. Oh, and, there you go. And, you know, it's, I, I'm, it, 50, I'm 50 vitamin D filled. 50 or 100 milligrams, how much is it? Uh, I take, I want to say it's 80, but that may be okay. another one that I take. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, between 50 to 100. And they're easy, they're gel caps, they're easy to take. And mm. I take it every day. I learned from my parents. You know, my parents, unfortunately, both uh, had smoking 
killed him, but I, I regret to say that. But you know what? You can make yourself more less susceptible to disease and things like that, have a longer life. If you keep a maintained balanced diet, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, throw in a little ice cream down then, but. <laughs> well, that's actually dairy. So it's, it's a, as long as you put the exercise in too, like I've, I've taken up much more bike riding to supplement my gym uh, activity. So a couple of times in the gym, a couple of times on bike rides, I'm exercising four plus days a week, hopefully moving to five. Oh yeah. When six. I was, uh-huh. when I was a high school, and a college soccer official, I would run between five to ten miles a game, depending on mm. how old the kids, the players were. Mm-hmm. I would run five to ten miles a game. So love it. I, I miss that. I miss, I miss doing that. But I'm also I'm not forty anymore. I'm sixty four. So <gasps> I, I miss old. it. But I, I want. Damn, you're old. I'm an old man. Yes, I'm afraid so. That's, that's okay. I'm sixty three. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> I don't when I'm sixty four, do 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 do. Yeah, no, age is relevant. Uh-huh. You're here and then you're not. Just yeah. To live as long as you can, as well as you can. Don't worry about it. So let's get to the topic you were going to talk about. <laughs> now that we had so much fun with this nutrition. Yeah. Well, you know what I wanted to talk about for just a second? There's two things. Okay. One of the things is the science of standardized testing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of this coming out right now about how COVID lockdowns and, and everything else has affected the scores kids are getting in reading and math and, and so on, you know, all these various scores that kids have. Then you have the NAEP, the National Education uh, Measurement for schools across the country. And it's down by, like, I believe a third, something like the, the number of kids who have not passed basic math and basic reading has gone up by, like, 30%. And Just because of, of COVID lockdowns? Yeah. And here's, here's what I believe, and this, this, I'm saying this as a science teacher and as a science person. Those kids, when you're in a classroom, it is not, I can't measure it, but you know it when you're a teacher. And what I can tell you is those kids could not exchange ideas or look at what's going on in the world without facial expressions. There is so much communication that goes on in a classroom, mm-hmm. science or otherwise, between kids and being able to read facial expressions. You can tell if your answer is good, not so good, you know. Uh, and the problem is because we had these two years of masking up and kids not in school and not exchanging, you know, looks, nonverbal communication is so important in the classroom. It's so important and a part of just science in general. You have to be able to perform and do those things and work in groups. How can you do a lab experiment when you can't work with each other? Because you well, both all question, have NASA. So here's the question, though. So why do we arrange classrooms mm-hmm. where everybody uh, is staring the back of everybody else's head except the kids in the front, and they can't see anybody else uh, except the teacher's face? So why aren't they in circles? Why aren't they, I, uh, you know, uh, have four rows and two rows face the other two rows? Why don't you have a center, everybody face teacher, center? I can tell you, that's up to the teacher. As a teacher, I never uh-huh. stayed in one place in the classroom. I moved Ooh. around. I taught middle Ooh. school. I had right. to move so I'd become less of a target. So <laughs> you, when you're teaching that, yeah. You said that When before. you're teaching that age, you've mm-hmm. got to move around. And, of course, I was a science teacher. I did have the science tables lined up, nice and neat little order for my seating chart. But you know mm-hmm. what? When I was talking and working with the kids, I was moving around that room. I didn't hide behind my desk and avoid the paper wads and rubber bands. What <sighs> I did was I moved around and worked with the kids. 
And you have to understand the middle school philosophy and middle school teachers, we look at the world kind of skewed a little bit because the kids we're dealing with are a little skewed. So, you know, moving around the room, getting involved, looking at the kids, talking with them, eye contact, and looking at their facial expressions. You can look at a room, Greg, a room full of kids, and without those masks, you could tell if they were getting an idea or not getting it. And then you as a teacher could adjust to what you needed. I always did that. I always paid attention to the kids' facial expressions because they might not say it, but if you look around that room, you can see a bunch of clueless faces. So you have to go back and start over. A, a good teacher does that, I think. And I'm not so why saying they I'm resist the best those teacher. Does, the, the masks don't work. Here's the thing that I never understood. You know, the expression oh, that, uh, we know that. A, virus, a virus through a mask is like a mosquito through a chain link fence, or as I say, a mosquito through a garage door. Uh, why were they doing this? Well, yeah. What, what was the education administration gaining from putting ineffective masks on people that weren't getting COVID? I think it was about control. I think it was about control. But they've already got control. And being they've, uh, they've already got the kids, you uh, know, from, from breakfast through it's uh, not like it used you know, to be. daycare. What's that? Oh, yeah. It's not like it used to be. I mean, I started teaching in 1980. Ugh, that makes me, that ages me. But mm-hmm. I can remember my dad was a teacher. Uh, my mom was trained as a teacher. My grandmothers were trained as teachers. I, it's it's in my family blood. I, you cut me, I bleed diploma. And <laughs> what happens? What happens is that transition as we move through. You know, you can go back to the old Dewey system and everything else, and education, Socratic method, and all that kind of stuff. But uh-huh. you have to be able to look and communicate with your students and with the people in the classroom. And, you know, when you've got kids masked up, number one, they're going to become more exposed, as we're seeing now, to RSV, the the rhinoviruses, things like that, because they didn't get natural immunity from their classmates. And then you have other issues where kids, especially special needs at-risk kids, Mm -hmm. they need to be able to either read lips or to see your facial expression. They may not be able to express themselves verbally, but you Mm -hmm. watch them and you watch how they behave, and you can figure out whether they're doing right, wrong, or getting what you're trying to give to them. Hmm. And we stopped that. We put them behind masks. We, we, we basically covered their faces and still expected them to learn at the same rate. And then everybody acts like this is some big surprise. And it's like, what kind of people do we have? I mean, it, it's silly. I said it when it started, and my sister said you were right. My sister, uh, who's a trained meteorologist, was with the Air Force, said, uh-huh. yeah, they, they yeah. couldn't get information back and forth because you do a lot of stuff, a lot of meetings and things like that, where you're watching over a room. When I was a mayor, it was the same thing. I watched the audience expression. I looked at my fellow uh, public officials. You can tell by the facial expressions, are they getting what you're talking about? Are they agreeing or disagreeing? It's the same thing. It's just a different level. And unfortunately, I think masks were the biggest mistake we made in schools. Scientifically, educationally, it was the wrong thing to do. And it was not the the long-term effect of masking up was far greater than the danger presented by COVID, I think. And uh, you can look at the numbers. Even though I don't like standardized testing, you can point to them and say, hey, what's going on? So that's – I don't believe we took a scientific approach. They keep saying, well, follow the science, follow the science. Yeah, they followed it right down the rat hole. 
I just, yeah. well, I just think it was but this is, but the masks were were the teachers unions. Uh, this is this is the the group that doesn't care about kids. This is the group that wants the best teacher situation. They want the most money for teachers while they do the least work and have the most members. I mean, there were when the schools were closed. This is why they, the teachers union had to tell the teachers, you know, stop showing pictures of on the beach in in Costa Rica, you know, with your teacher money. Don't do that. Oh yeah, because they were. Because they were still being paid for this, okay? So the teachers' unions, so what did the and, teachers' unions do? In fact, they were saying, well, we can't, we have to get all kids vaccinated. We have to, you know, make it safe for the teachers. Well, the, 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 first of all, you don't need those shots with kids anyway. Secondly, the vaccines are proven to be dangerous, far more dangerous than COVID. Uh, and, uh, in fact, yeah. you look at anybody who's, anybody who's getting COVID now, they're all, they've all had the shot. And their excuse is, well, it would be, uh, be a lot more serious if they didn't have the shot. No, they wouldn't have it at all. I can't remember the last time a public figure um, got COVID. And uh, they had never had a shot, you know, because no, we're not getting I mean, COVID. <laughs> We've got immunity. So what was it in the school? What is it about teachers. schools? What is it about the school environment and the teachers' unions? What about this? I mean, they already have control of the kids. They already have the kids. They, they feed them. They, they, they keep them in classrooms. They, they, become, they keep them for daycare after school. You know, the teachers have so much control over, over the kids. They've got critical race theory. They've got, uh, you know, they've got uh, now drag queens, you know, doing story time. They've got amazing control oh, over Lord. kids. Why did they feel the need for extra control with these masks, which were dangerous for the kids in many levels, communication, psychology, self-esteem, uh, all kinds of ways. And, and the truth is there was an article in town hall not too long ago. Uh, well, so, you know, I think it was 20, maybe the end of 2020, 2021, uh, where the parents actually took the masks. They took them to a, an independent lab and had them tested. And they found at, at the end of an eight hour shift, they had pneumonia. They had uh, all kinds of bacteria. They had germs. They had uh, viruses. Those things were breeding grounds because you've got a nice warm environment. The kids are breathing on with their moist breath. It's like the perfect Petri dish for every bug that's, that's in the air. So masks were, were far oh, yeah. more dangerous than not having a mask, even with COVID around. The masks still made things far more dangerous. Well, think about I, mm-hmm. when you're talking about large groups of kids in large situations and, you know, this whole idea that, you know, we, I would supervise, I supervised a cafeteria with 300 eighth graders in it, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, you can right. imagine what that was like. So mm-hmm. yeah, when you have that kind of situation, <laughs> oh, oh. A funny story, real quick. I just got to throw this in there. Sure. One day, the Frito Lay representative came to our <laughs> school and gave out free peanuts to the kids. <laughs> now, this was before peanut allergies or whatever. Now, remember, you're talking eighth graders. Any food that can be used as a form of ammunition is dangerous <laughs> in a middle school cafeteria. Uh, example oh, wow. uh, cornbread. Cornbread remains solid until it meets its target. And when cornbread hits a kid in the head, it explodes. It frags everybody around him. Same oh, wow. thing they were doing no with idea. peanuts. Right. Yeah. Cornbread, it stays, it can, you can throw it like a fastball, and the second it hits the target, it takes out everybody within 10 feet. Same <laughs> thing is true. Tra- what they would shrapnel. do is they would use, yeah, oh, yeah. And they would Food use uh, their books to mm-hmm. flick peanuts across the cafeteria. So I come running in and I'm getting peanuts are shot at me and my principal looks at me and says, I guess this was a bad idea. Yeah. So that's just <laughs> a funny sidelight there. But, yeah, you've you got to have us middle school teachers look at the world a little bit differently, like I said. But anyway, back to our, back to our point. The, the NEA, the AFT, I left the NEA years ago in 2004 because they refused to support me for running for the first time for state representative. 
and uh, I left, and I never went back because I was more qualified. The other person was a retired teacher who left mm-hmm. the profession, I would say, washed out, and right. they wouldn't support me. I had been nominated twice for Teacher of the Year, and then they would not support me. Hmm. And I left NEA, and, of course, I never messed with AFT. AFT because I'm not a big union guy. So I only belong to NEA because I wanted to stay at the meetings. I wanted to be able to get up and say my piece, even though people hated me for it. But, you know, that's not well, why are they, but, Why are they just dictating policy? This is thing I don't understand. The union should not be dictating policy to schools. It's the unions that want the schools closed. It's the unions that want the kids vaccinated with an with a unsafe and ineffective um, you know, snake oil jab. It's the unions that mm-hmm. wanted to uh, mask all the kids. It's the unions that were directing policy. They were going to the CDC. The CDC was going along with it. And the CDC is not uh, a regulatory agency. They just advise. Right. You know, and, and so you don't have to follow and their I don't advice. know why. Mm-hmm. Well, let me give you an example. Let me tell you what happened. Back in the early to mid-80s and early 90s, <clears throat> 30 years ago, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. they, the NEA, worked at getting school board members elected. Now, in my home state where I taught in the state of Missouri, school right. boards don't get paid. When hmm. I came down here to Florida, I about had a cow when I found out they were paying their school board members like $30,000, $32,000, I think it is. A wow. school board member gets paid here in Florida. Yeah, For how many meetings a year? Outrageous. <laughs> and oh, they're not, they're not a full-time what? job. I they're would do it there. for free. Yeah. It makes no sense to me. It's a, it's a public service. You don't do it right. for the money. You do right. it for the sense of service. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing with the county commissioners down here, getting paid $70,000 a year to be a county commissioner. Please. Mm-hmm. They get paid 30000 in Missouri. They get paid half. I should and be a county like, commissioner, but I'm not corrupt, and I don't want developers' money, so I could never do it. But, you know, it would be fun for the money. Oh, don't even get me started. Don't go down okay. that road. We're supposed to be talking science. But anyway, my bottom line is this. The math mm-hmm. were not effective, as you just said. The mm-hmm. mask prevented student-teacher communication, nonverbal communication, uh, special needs at-risk kids who already have challenges. That mask was a barrier. That mask was a barrier to learning, and nobody has said that. I'm the only teacher I know of anywhere that I've heard say the masks were a learning barrier. They were not there to protect the kids. That is not what they did. People felt good. Oh, we have masks for all the kids. They're all safe. Well, as mm-hmm. we found out, the masks don't work. The uh, vaccines don't work. So what's the point? It, it, it made more sense to let these kids, if they're exposed to the virus, to build the antibodies and be all protected naturally. We didn't well, you're a science that. teacher. The, and now look, the, why didn't the science teachers rebel and say, look, this isn't science. These, 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 uh, these snake oil jabs aren't necessary. This mask isn't going to protect anybody. It's going to make things worse. Where were the science teachers in all this? I, and you know what? I'm kind of, I feel I know I taught with some people who would have said something because I certainly obviously would have. <laughs> and there are some, though, that, you know, just keep your head down. Don't say anything. And, it, you know, I'm like, excuse because me. Why? I don't think. I, because why? I guess they're afraid of, afraid of retaliation from the school. What retaliation? They're in a union. They're in one of the most powerful unions I, in the world. What retaliation? Exactly. Exactly my point. I don't get it. I never got Unless the union would retaliate against them. That's possible, too, because they refused. Look what they did to me. They refused to support me running for state representative. And I was Mm -hmm. far more qualified than than the person previously I was running against. So 
you know, I, I don't know the logic of the NEA and the AFT. Uh, they really don't put students first. They don't. They put their organization first, and it's about the money. And I, I firmly believe that. I will always say that. I'll take that to my grave. Mm-hmm. I, you can put it on my headstone. It's, it was about the money. <laughs> I don't know if that's well, a good thing way to put it. Uh, this, this is a non-science question, but why is it that, that uh, educational unions are even allowed to, f- to form? They're government employees. Government employees should not be able to unionize. Oh, well, you know what? I don't have a problem with the unionization necessarily. What I have a problem with is striking. I'm a big believer that public employees should be able to strike. But that's the whole point of a union, though. No, see, uh, see, once you have a union, you have the ability to strike. They kind of go hand in hand. But it was uh, Roosevelt that was strongly against government unions. Uh, um, Truman fired a bunch of people in in a government union, and he also had the steel strikes as well. But it was um, John Kennedy that screwed up, uh, that made unions legal, made federal unions legal with an executive order which Trump should have overturned. He should have said, no, sorry, we're not going to do that anymore. No more unions uh, organized. Well, remember, Reagan fired the air traffic controllers as well. They had a union. Uh, I think they kept a union. I don't know what, what the state of it is now. But, uh, but that's a different thing. So rather, but he didn't abolish the, the idea. He didn't have legislation saying that government workers couldn't unionize, which is what he should have done. He could have gotten rid of right. the uh, – so here's an interesting question for you. This is the political question. So you've got Reagan fires the air traffic controllers for striking, but he doesn't repeal the executive orders order that allowed them to unionize in the first place. Why not? I have no clue. You would have to ask somebody that was more involved in politics at that point. Mm-hmm. I don't have a clue why. Uh, there were so many different things going on. Remember, it was pretty tumultuous. You know, we're experiencing Jimmy Carter 2.0 right now. So, no, we're experiencing Obama hard. Marxism right now. <laughs> Jimmy Carter never told well, the yeah, government and imposed too. a coup. We've got an illegal government. This is it a totally all, different situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It all kind of blends together, unfortunately, and mm-hmm. it it's uh, it's silly. It's ridiculous. I hmm. politics and science they all play together. They all play a part, and uh, it's a shame that that's been influencing our classrooms and our kids. Because mm-hmm. I specialized, I was the first, I was one of the first teachers in Missouri to teach science to autistic students with autism. We were able to start a program called Giant Steps, where we had kids who were autistic and had verbal and physical communication issues, but we brought them into my classroom. I had another a co-teacher, and we were able to teach science to these kids. They were doing the experiments, the labs, learning. It can be done. There's any number of things, but, boy, some of the teachers did not like me doing that because they thought that they would be expected to do it. Oh, so, we can't have that. You know, in fact, teachers no, want kids NEA, that are of a, of a particular, you know, just uh, only so much class participation, only so much, you know, agitation. I was the high-energy kid. <clears throat> I was the kid that asked the impossible questions. I was the one that uh, wanted to know just, uh, like, the same outrageous questions I asked here. I did the same thing when I was 10 years old, so nothing's really changed. Yeah. And that's awesome. I would love a kid. A kid like that, I loved all my kids. But to be honest, having a kid in the classroom that would, you take that energy and use it to your advantage. So many teachers get frustrated and say, oh, well, I can't handle this kid. I hand, can't handle that kid. Plus, it's you not creative. A, out, yeah. So, You've got to find see, an outlet so for their question. energy. And, yeah. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Finish. Yeah. Oh, no. I was just going to say, 
you learn how to give these kids something to do, something that makes them uh, successful, and they will climb mountains for you. And the, unfortunately, some of my fellow teachers were not of a mind to do that. They did not care one way or the other. And I, you know, I taught with some very great teachers, and I taught with some not so good teachers. What's uh-huh. the point of that? Well, uh, oh yeah. Was, let me let me ask you a question though. Let's get back to science here for a second because I was just thinking to myself, what would happen if you took a mask, wore it for a day, put it in a petri dish, covered it up, and looked at it uh, two days later? Ugh. I, I can imagine any number of bacteria can, and viruses. Do you bacteria. do you have access to a petri dish? Uh, I can get some. I mean, I could do it. It would be interesting to just do it for my own. I mean, the problem is, here's the problem. You're going to, just by being in the air, you're going to expose that Petri dish, that that medium, that growth medium. You're Mm going to expose it to bacteria, things like that, just having it out there. Trying to keep it perfectly sterile in a a home environment. No, this this isn't that qualitative a test. I'm just curious what would happen because they say that masks prevent diseases. So if you have a mask, I want to see if it has diseases. Well, what would happen if you, you, uh, you breathe through a mask for several hours, all right, and get all nice and moist and gooey, and uh, then take it off, put mm-hmm. it on the, the medium of a Petri dish, close the dish, and just see what grows on put the, put the In other words, squish the mask in with the Petri medium, you know, cover it over, and just see what grows. Oh, correct. And then take a picture of it. What? Yeah, I mean, it would be pretty obvious you're going to get something growing in there now. Can I get a Petri dish? Can I get a Petri dish? I can't wear a mask just because, but I'd wear a cotton one around. Okay, if you go to any, like Walmart or some of the toy stores, they have those self-contained science kits. My my wife used to do that in her classroom. She was a pre-K teacher, and she would get those science kits at the store, and they would do experiments in her classroom. She actually sent a an experiment up on a space shuttle for they were selected by NASA to send uh, a, wow. the very same thing up in the space shuttle. They were the science class that was selected. And That's pretty she cool. taught uh, you know, basically Yeah, she really because I was a science teacher I gave her ideas and she taught she was the only teacher in her preschool that did science experiments with the kids. And believe it or not, they actually criticized her because she was doing the extra things. So, you know, she retired after 11 years. But, yeah, you can do science just – and they have different levels of kits. If you go to Walmart, I'm trying to remember where they are. It's in the toy section, but they're actually kits with directions and everything else. And you can do – as a Can I get a Petri dish? Can can I get get a Petri dish? I, that's in there. I've seen. I've seen it. I've Where? seen the petri dishes on the outside of the container. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. In those science kits, they're actually in the kits. Now they're not. I don't believe they're glass because obviously you're working with kids. I believe they're plastic. So you're not going to have a. I I kind of wonder if they're plastic if they're going to work. You know, compared to a glass petri dish. Probably so, not. Because you can't really sterilize them because they'll melt. So huh. I, is is petri a medium? What, what kind of stuff do they use in a petri dish? What what kind of medium that's is petri? Dish. They use what's called agar. It's it's a it's a nutrient rich gelatin basically that they put in, and I believe the constituent 
element is, I want to say, it's like, oh, chicken broth or something. You know, you've got to have a medium, a growth medium for the bacteria. you got chicken broth. Oh, yeah. I'm going to make a pithy dish out of chicken broth. This is great. Okay, it's like a Jewish deli. Come on, here, sit down. Well, we got the chicken broth. we got a dish. we got to throw in the mask. It's going to be a great time. Let's see what, it, let's see what shows up. This should be fun. Okay, we can do this. Hey, what do you want? Well, sit down. We'll give you a lox. We'll give you a bagel. We'll give you the pizza dish. You know, you want the, you want the big pizza dish? You want the small hey, pizza hey. dish? This is great. But the, the, the broth, it's going to be good. It's a great time. Okay, come on. What are you talking about? I had a teacher like that. No. I had what? a teacher like that. Did but... a Jewish deli accent? <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Did, did Brooklyn? <laughs> don't, even, don't even get me started on that. Why not? So, can you hear me? It's radio. What do we oh, care? Yeah. No, you're still there. Yeah, you're there. Yeah. Okay. You have 15 Sorry, minutes. I you haven't disappeared I, I yet. Yeah, you're still here. Okay. Yeah. I, I had to, out, I had to yeah. get out of the parking lot. <sighs> I had to get out of the parking lot at the new Publix. They were blowing off the parking lot, and there was dust and everything going everywhere. So. Oh, no. I moved over here to my house. Oh, my goodness. Dust. Yeah, it was a mess. So, it was so a mess, can, but I'm here. catch that in a mask and see what happens. Yeah. Oh. Well, do you know there's natural, there's bacteria and viruses. They're a natural part of the environment. Some of the bacteria and viruses are good things. The mm-hmm. the uh, fungi that help break down, uh, you know, leaves, trees, things like that in the woods. And so, I mean, there's just a whole flora and fauna, as they say. And there, there's so much of it out there. But we humans, unfortunately, are not always exposed to it. And when we do get exposed, i.e. the rhinovirus, right. there, there's uh, consequences. And it's, it spreads like wildfire through kids. I mean, you wouldn't believe, you know, one kid gets strep in a class, and sure enough, the next day you've got three or four kids out. Strep mm-hmm. does the same thing. And so, it, you know, as a teacher, you would always see, well, it's flu season, because you'd come into a class and these kids are coughing and hacking and sneezing. Oh, my gosh. And then imagine I went down to the cafeteria with 300 of them. Okay? Mm-hmm. That was crazy. But that's a Petri, I That's a Petri dish. <laughs> you go over a Petri dish yeah. in a oh, cafeteria. Lord. Oh, Boy, yeah. that'd be fun. That's what my wife said. My wife said that a, a preschool class is like a giant Petri dish because <laughs> all these kids are carrying all these. She said, oh, yeah. it's like they're little organisms. But you they're know? helping they their immune systems. They're, 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 they're creating good immune systems in all the kids. I agree, and it also helped my wife's immune system because she okay. said she felt she was resistant to, to viruses and other things because she got exposed to it with the kids. Oh yeah. And, well, after, and know, I told the story that I used to be said, a tour guide in San Francisco, and I had I met people from all over the world. So there isn't a country that I haven't met a citizen from, uh, except Antarctica. You know uh, that I haven't been exposed yeah. to you know bugs from all over the world. This is why I got over. I think I had COVID for like two days uh, back before we knew what COVID was. And I just rested. I said, okay, that's done, and I've been I've been immune ever since. Oh yeah, my my sister was worried. She just left. She and my brother-in-law, who were both the retired lieutenant colonels. Uh, they just went to Argentina, so I'm I'm waiting to hear from her and find out you know what kind of COVID protections and everything else they were required. They both had their boosters and everything else, so that's, that's they were able to I'm go. Sorry. But I'm I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm just curious what their their uh, they're very big international travelers. Of course, they were both uh-huh. Air Force for years, so they traveled yeah, all over the world. They're traveling again. But why would anybody Air Force, especially now, is one of them a pilot by chance? Another flight crew. Your sister's uh, flight yeah. crew. So why would they yeah, go into an oxygen? The... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Finish. Oh no no no. They there was never. I don't recall in all my sister and my brother-in-law's years 
in the Air Force. Of course, he flew in the SR-71, so he was above all the virus and bacteria. <laughs> he was all oh, yeah. above it. But uh, my sister flew in the hurricane. So the uh, I don't know. On flight crews, I don't think I ever heard my sister mention anything to me about having to, other than an oxygen mask. I never heard. No, but she was out. She was wasn't in when COVID was there. She wasn't there when COVID was there, right? No, that's true. But so what I'm saying is that, that, I mean, that pilots, no, but pilots are particularly susceptible to the COVID jab because they're in an oxygen-deprived environment to begin with. They pressurize those. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know what the air pressurizes airplanes to, but airlines pressurize to about 8,000 feet. Yeah. Well, yeah, cookie. Yeah. In commercial airliners, I don't mm-hmm. recall what the altitude is. I used 8, to 8,000 feet. I used to 8, have. 8,000 feet. It's 8,000 yeah. feet. Well, yeah. I mean, because remember, there's motors and the, the generators and all that. I, I don't know all that stuff. You're, mm-hmm. you're the pilot. I wouldn't know. But on a commercial airliner, isn't the engine part of the pressurization system? Isn't mm-hmm. there something with the engine that pressurizes? Yeah, take, because it's called bleed air. They take air off the engine to increase the pressure inside the cabin. So air is coming into the cabin faster than air is going out to maintain a certain pressure. So right. they regulate this. The, the, when they pressurize, they, they literally put more air into the cabin than is outside the cabin. And the reason you do that is so you can breathe, that you need a certain pressure of air. You need a certain amount of air to have enough oxygen in that air. So the reason people die right. high up on mountains and get hypoxia and things like that is because there's hypoxia. not enough the oxygen's in the air at the same percentage, but there's less air. There's literally less air. There are oh, fewer... Yeah molecules of, of, of oxygen um, to be able to, well, atoms of oxygen to be able to breathe. And so when you have an airliner at 8,000 feet, to, that's like Denver plus uh, 50%. That's oh, yeah. There. We used to, I used to do, I did a whole semester just on the atmosphere and weather, and we mm-hmm. would do a lot of experiments with balloons and such, and those big giant syringes and everything show what happens to air pressure as you mm-hmm. go up in the atmosphere and everything mm-hmm. else. Talk yep, about rapid rate. decompression. Yeah. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And okay. and how it would affect, unfortunately, I couldn't, you know, I, I didn't have like they do in the Air Force where they have the, you know, they have you do the the, um, the physical tests as they start to get you towards hypoxia. They do that as air crew training. And right, exactly. uh, I never got a chance to do that, obviously. But my sister huh. did and my brother-in-law did. And so, it again, would be fun. Why would you... We would do this in yeah. But why would you put masks on pilots? Why would you why would you jab pilots? Why would you you know put people that are already in an oxygen reduced environment where the biggest problem with COVID being a respiratory disease is breathing? Why would you do that to pilots and require them to take something that's going to make their their breathing worse? The, the, the military taking jabs made know. absolutely no sense, especially for pilots. It was the stupidest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you. Another, let me totally change subject. We've got ten minutes left, and it's something we've never talked about on the show. Where okay. it's not too much. And you'd be the perfect person to ask. Chemtrails. There are people out what? there that are absolutely convinced that airplanes have huge tanks, you know, and they're spraying noxious stuff into the atmosphere and it's dropping directly down rather than riding the jet streams and all the air currents up there, that whatever they're spraying is coming down and it is affecting us and our personalities and our poisons and they're killing all the plants. And all the... <laughs> chemtrails. What, what do you have to say on chemtrails? Uh, they are mostly water vapor. No, those are contrails. No, we're not talking about contrails. We're talking about chem, chemical trails. In other words, airplanes going up into the air with with a bazillion gallons of obnoxious chemicals and spraying them out into the stratosphere, uh, and it's it's affecting life on Earth. Chemtrails. I don't think 
I I don't I've never read anything on it, so I'm just going to simply say until well, we I have, read something on it and see the data, I, we have to get, you know do we have to get you up on I your conspiracies, know, Mike. It. Mike, we got to get you up on your conspiracies. No, okay. I know. I try to I try to avoid conspiracies because I've learned when you speak in a group of people and you have a penchant to go off on the you know like conspiracies and stuff, you have to mm-hmm. be careful who you say it to and how you say it. No, but there are people, people that think, sincerely think believe this. There are people that would stake their life on the fact that there's these uh, these chemicals are coming out of these airplanes. Now, contrails. Let's talk about the contrail. Uh, well, why don't you describe a contrail, yeah. what it is? Contrail point of view. is basically water vapor from the burning of the jet fuel inside of the jet engines. Uh, you know, it's uh, – what's the term they use? I can't remember. My sister told me there's a term they use for when they – when it exits the engine, it immediately turns to water vapor. <laughs> Sublimation. Yeah, and I. Well, I said. Well, first it would be. I'm trying to remember if it would be sublimate. If it sublimates, I'm no, it, trying it does to figure because, out. It goes directly from gas to uh, to solid. It goes directly from gas to solid. Bypasses liquid, so it sublimates. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The same way when when uh, snow sublimates. It's the same thing, but that that trail is water vapor, most mm-hmm. of it. And yeah, but it's I, crystal. You know, there it's, are it's a visible to... crystal. Otherwise, if it were vapor, you couldn't see it. But because it's condensed enough, right. to, it's actually ice crystals. Whereas clouds are water. Right. Clouds are water vapor. You know that they're they're big. Mm-hmm. You know masses of, oh, of yeah. moisture. But uh, but the the, the contrails coming out of a jet. Well, here's how I understand it: jet fuel, like automobile fuel, like all combustible fuels, uh, breaks down into into. Uh, carbon dioxide and water vapor and some other stuff. But it's basically carbon dioxide and water vapor. Well, the water, the, the water molecule, the gas molecule of water goes out and it's so cold that, you know, 35,000 feet, you know, it's 50 below zero, that it immediately freezes, instantaneously freezes. And of course, ice is mm-hmm. white. Well, actually, it's blue in a glacier, but it, it immediately turns white, reflects the sunlight, all that kind of stuff. So these are, these are basically trails of ice crystals coming out the back end of your, right. your jet engine. Well, there's nothing in that. Mm-hmm. that that's, that's a natural process of burning. You drive a car high enough, you're probably going to get the same thing, in, you know, if you can get a car to drive that high. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but you get, I mean, cars, when they're at a, at a very cold temperature, the exhaust looks very different than cars at a, in the summertime. Well, that's, well, that's uh, ice crystals. Are, those, are, those are water vapor. That's condensing water vapor, whether it becomes water vapor or ice crystals. You know, it, it depends on how cold it is. But uh, that's what's coming oh, out yeah. of those engines. The other one is vapor trails. Now, we used to have this in Oakland. When I was there, I'd go bike riding in Oakland all the time. I lived by uh, San Francisco Bay, and the planes would come into Oakland. And when the air was humid, you know, like the pre-fog air, the air saturates. It's almost 100% humidity. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was these airplanes, they had these what are called wingtip and, and flap vortices. So in other words, the air from the bottom of the wing, you know, comes to the air on the top of the wing so fast, it actually forms a tornado coming off the flaps and yep. coming off the wingtips. That's what those little tails are for. When you see airplane wings with a little, what looks like a little tail, mm-hmm. that's to stop the wingtip right. vortices. That's to stop the air from underneath the wing coming on top of the wing at such a rapid rate that it forms a tornado, a vortice uh, off the end of the wingtip. But what happens is when these planes, the flaps actually did it too. So the flaps, when they come into Oakland Airport, you can see coming off the flaps, you know, these little vortices because that's a, a lowered flap into the air causing a little tornado which condenses the air immediately, and you get these little vapor trails coming off of these airplanes landing at Oakland. What was so oh, funny yeah. about it was people, people were going, them and... 
Yeah, people, but look at them and people go, they're dumping fuel. Those are contrails. They're spraying, chem- they're spraying chemicals on us. I'm like, you idiots. <laughs> anyway, you're going to say something. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, I just kind of laugh at that and, and, and just kind of scratch my head like, why are people I, – I don't see the issue. I personally don't see the issue, even though some conspiracy theorists might say it's an issue, but I don't think it is. It, it's too obvious. I mean, that, that if there's any conspiracies going on, why not keep them secret? I don't get, you know, that when people publicize them, what possible basis in truth could they have? I, just I don't know, but uh, people are still sometimes. flying airplanes. They're, they're not so concerned that they're not flying airplanes. <laughs> they're still going up in airliners. But I want to know, oh, yeah. and I've asked, I've asked people this too, you know, because I, I, I have people that, that on the show that really believe in contrails. I mean, chemtrails. And it's like, well, where are the tanks? Well, they're in the airplane. Well, where? Are they in the wing? You know, are they near the engine? I mean, where do you put them? Airplanes don't have a lot of space. You know, they're, they're designed. No, huh? You know, well, they're under the two airplane. inches of extra seating. Yeah. It's, yeah tell they're adding exactly. the, the new seats. You know, yeah. How much I, weight? You think the airlines are going to pay for extra weight on the airplanes? They're going to pay for chemicals on board to spray no. out at 35,000 feet? Well, I, had a friend, I had a friend that worked for American Airlines. I had a friend that worked for American Airlines, and she said that they actually went through and took all the pillows out of the plane and figured out what amount of fuel they could save by having either smaller pillows or no pillows. They actually were down to that. And man, that can't be significant. That's, that's got to be insignificant. But they were trying to figure out a way to squeeze out just a little bit more mileage out of a fuel, full tank of fuel. So they were trying to eliminate anything in the plane that would cost fuel, cost money. And they said they quit. They finally took – you only get a little tiny pillow, and that's only if you ask for one. And they certainly mm-hmm. don't have enough for everybody. So, yeah, they were – American Airlines was doing that. They used to. They used and, to circulate the air a lot more, too. The old 707, 727s, that air was circulating constantly. Mm-hmm. You had fresh air all the time. You know, they had those oh, little yeah. air vents. People, yeah. You're supposed to use your air vents, folks, those little circular things that look like a little jet engine. Open your air vents. Okay, yep. that's to keep the air circulating. But, but the question again comes in, you know, where, where would these things be? Why would they do that? Well, here's what, the last question I was going to ask you. We've got a couple minutes left. Um, at 35,000 yeah. feet, what happens to, if, you spray, if you spray a chemical? bromide or whatever it is they think they're spraying. If you spray a chemical into the air at 30,000 feet, what happens to the chemical? Well, like you said, it's going to, depending on the temperature, it's going mm-hmm. to freeze instantly. It's okay. going to go straight uh, to, uh, to a solid from, uh, you know, you would have to aerosolize it so it would go sublimate again. It would okay. go straight from, well, not sublimate. What's the opposite of sublimate? Uh, Evaporate. Condensate. <laughs> It, Cond- it would, can, yeah, it would condense, condensate yeah. directly okay. from a vapor to a solid. Yeah. And so you would see it. I mean, it, more than just the contrails, it would, it would be obvious to anybody so actually see that it, it was there. Now, some people say that they can see a gray trail coming from a white contrail. That's the jet exhaust. Yeah, I, I don't – I'm still trying to figure out how people are getting – this idea that there's some kind of chemical oh, that's huge. being put there's into the There's a lot atmosphere. of people. There's a lot of people. Here's another question, though, too. What happens to the wind currents? How yeah. long would – if you're spraying something up in the air, those, those contrails are there for hours. You know, so what, what's the air like right. at 35,000 feet? What's going on up there? Uh, there's almost, it's about 60 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. Uh, you're at the boundary between the troposphere and the stratosphere. 
So you're at what's called the tropopause, which is the, the boundary between tropo and stratosphere. And that area right in there, usually these areas are determined by temperature change. The temperature goes down as you go up through the troposphere, and it gets to like minus 60 degrees Fahrenheit, I think is approximately at 30 to 35,000. Then the temperature actually, as you go higher in the stratosphere, the temperature actually goes back up hmm, towards zero. Well, and then the when you so get much, to the uh, mesosphere, yeah, yeah, when you get to the mesosphere, then you begin, you get another temperature drop until you get right into the ionosphere, which is where, of course, the uh, ultraviolet, when, when rays come in from the sun and are absorbed, the aurora borealis and things like that, that becomes very hot when you get into the mesosphere. At the top of the mesosphere and the ionosphere, you start to pick up higher temperatures. Hmm. So the temperature goes down, up, down, up as you go through the layers in the atmosphere. Okay, it's so what does that do to the airflow? What does that do to the airflow? You know, well, where, where, let me do, tell do you what they... Do these things disperse? And, and do they stay in the air? Do they drop to the ground? Do they go higher? If you put chemicals in the air at 35,000 feet from an airliner or 50,000 feet from a, a military you know, aerial tanker or something, I mean, the aerial tankers have room for this stuff, <clears throat> but uh, I, I still question what they're doing. Where's that stuff going to go, and, and how is it controlled? My sister told me about this because they were okay. doing some, <clears throat> some data on mixing of air, you know, mixing of air at the various boundaries between the troposphere, stratosphere, mesosphere. And they were actually finding there's a lot more mixing of air going up and down elevation-wise than they ever thought before. And huh. they found this out about the, 15... the temperature differences or what's causing it? Rotation of the earth? That, that's what they, that was their first inclination was that okay. it has to do with the temperature. There's more exchange of temperature in the layers of the atmosphere than they thought. Found this out. They coordinated it with uh, data from NASA, and they found out that, you know, this whole idea about global warming and everything else, it's not – they don't believe that it's real, obviously, uh, because of this mixing of the air, uh, the air at various levels, various altitudes. Uh -huh. Right. They think that the, the heat is distributed more than what they thought, and they huh. said it's because of this vertical mixing. They thought it was all horizontal like the jet stream and everything else. Oh, but okay. then they found more of this mixing of the atmosphere. Well, and well pressure really changed. I mean, that's how you get thunderstorms. Well, it, yeah. Pressure moves the air up and down, high pressure, low pressure. Low pressure air rises, high mm -hmm. pressure air falls. So in other words, in order for right. low pressure air to rise, high pressure air has to fall, and you need a balance in there. So, that's, uh, so the pressure is, is forcing the air down, or the low pressure is allowing it to rise. So that's a different that's remember, a mixing of air. Yeah, most of that takes place in the troposphere and the very bottom part of the stratosphere. When you get above that, there's not enough air molecules. It doesn't make a difference. When you get above, oh, gosh, 100,000 feet, 120,000 feet, yeah. right in there is where you lose. There, there's no air molecules essentially left. So, well, I'm not thinking of that high, though, know, they, but, uh, but the disbursement, what I'm thinking is if you wanted to get chemtrails out there, you have a specific chemical for a specific purpose, and you want it in a specific location. So my question is, because of the mixing of the air vertically, because of the mixing of the air horizontally, because of things like jet streams, uh, aerosols that are held in suspension in the air, how could they possibly regulate where these things are going to go, and how could they keep them in, the, in concentrations that would actually have any effect, given the fact that anything that goes up in the atmosphere is going to be mixed up and down, as we mix vertically, as we mix horizontally, uh, it's going to be sent all over the entire world, basically. You look at, what, Krakatoa? 
I mean, that ash, that volcanic oh, yeah. ash went worldwide. So how is it that the Look what happened with these? Go ahead. No, no, Krakatoa and Tambora, which was yeah. in 1812. That was right. the year without a summer. The, so, the, so, but, but that was worldwide. So all that stuff mixes. So why would people think that a certain chemical is going to go to a certain place in a concentration, you know, big enough to do anything from an airliner or a military plane, considering that the air mixes so much, as you just said, vertically, it mixes horizontally. And when you have a volcano, the volcanic ash literally goes worldwide. So why would, yeah. it, so why would these chemicals be a thing? I don't know. That's that's what I'm I'm trying to. I'll tell you what though. You've really tweaked my curiosity. I am okay. going to when we get off here. I'm going to start doing a little bit of research on chemtrails and and things like that yeah, because I'm now really you've piqued my week. interest. Oh good. Yeah. The, yeah. Home, the you can't be a science person. Yeah. yeah. And not care about that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Okay. And I'm, now yeah. now you've got me interested. Now I'm going to start nosing around and see what I can find out. <laughs> Well, we can make you've, that your report for next week, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. no, I, I can look it up and see. And I can talk to my sister, too. I don't know if she's going to be back from Argentina yet, but I will try and get a hold of my sister. I will also try and get her to come on to your show yeah, as be well. That would uh, be fun. I want to hear about hurricane chasing. Yeah, oh, yeah. And and she she can tell you some stories. <laughs> Things okay. that, you know, like after Katrina and things like that that she was involved in. It, it was pretty crazy. And uh, it, her stories are always are always fun. There's never a dull moment with the hurricane hunters. I can tell you. Oh, I'm sure. So, and it's fun. I'd love to have gone. Yeah. And it, oh yeah. I wish they used to take teachers up, and then in the late '90s, because of liability, I was scheduled to go on a fly a storm as a science teacher, and they mm-hmm. bumped me. And they oh. they they didn't allow teachers to do it anymore. They were afraid of the liability. And I'm like, if I sign, I'll sign whatever. I'll get on the plane. I said it's it's safer than flying in a regular regular airliner. I don't know why I wouldn't do it. Yeah, and they they took it away from the teachers. And they used to fly teachers on regular flights, uh-huh. and they quit it. And I, I right before I and you know my sister was a wing a wing adjutant and everything else, so you would think she could have gotten me on board, but nope, they wouldn't let any civilians go. No teachers. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, listen, now they let, let the crew, news they, crews go. The which now? They let the news crews go. Oh yeah, you know. Well, see, get, I still uh, want my blue, I want my blue angels ride. I, I want my blue angels ride. And I want my thunderbirds ride. So I mean, I'm all set for my, uh, you know, for my my orientation as a news person <laughs> to uh, to yeah. the various uh, uh, aerial demonstration teams. Well, let's leave it for this week. Let's let's uh, let you go wild and tell me what you can tell me about Ken Trails next week. See what you find. I'd be really curious. Okay. Like I say, a lot of people believe in this stuff. And I don't understand why. So I want to try and understand why and if there's any basis to it whatsoever. So let's, uh, let's figure that out. Okay. Oh, yeah. And I'll, also, I'll look up about the uh, sublimation versus evaporation when you start talking about that at altitude. Okay. Condensation, evaporation, sublimation. Yeah, those are the big three. Yeah. I know my, I know my sister. If, I can, if she's back in town, I mm-hmm. will try and get her on the show. If she's not okay. back in town yet, we'll try and do it for another day. Well, we'll be on for a while, so we've got plenty of time. All right, Mike. Thanks okay. very much. Have a, have a great weekend. We'll, uh, we'll get Science Friday uh, next Friday. Hey, and thank you very much for all you do. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. I, I love doing this. This is, this is fun. So, yeah, there we go. All right, sir. Uh, oh, yeah. I do, too. All right. We'll talk to you later. Sounds Bye-bye. good. Bye-bye. Take care, Mike. 
Um, so that's that's our week this week. This week's been fascinating. Uh, we uh, I'm going to try and get Dr. Lyle next week, the Surgeon General of Florida. Um, we've had some amazing guests. We've got a lot of changes here because a lot of people, uh, you know, life gets you know life takes you in, in directions you wouldn't think, uh, and so we're we have some wide open spaces. But uh, still, there's always something that comes up, always a guest, uh, a new report, something like that that uh, that keeps us fascinating things. So uh, Greg Pangles here for Action Radio, and uh, our main website writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-R-L-A-W-S. That's your legislative website. Uh, we also have the show here at blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. We've got a couple of sites if you want to donate to us. We've got givesendgo.com slash actionradio. Uh, for sponsors, you might want to use our PayPal, and it is uh, pay, uh, paypal.com slash paypalme slash actionradio. And all the information you need is on your broadcast page, you know, our affiliates, our, our discounts, uh, all the stuff you might want to, our YouTube channels, all the things you might want to know is right there on the broadcast page in front of you. That's the way to go. So I've got some musical selections here, a little musical interlude to uh, to uh, send you off for the weekend. And I will see you Monday at 7 a.m. Central Time. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. 
which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio Live. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.